For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. Okay, apologies for that. Anyway, things will settle down now and my heartbeat gets back to normal. Uh, paper-wise this morning, well, there's a couple of obviously issues regarding housing in this country. And one would think that if planning was speeded up and if people were allowed to build and get planning to build their own dream home on their own bit of land, wouldn't the world be up? Wouldn't the country be a much better place? They're starting to think that way now, uh, where the story in this morning's mirror says that young couples uh, should find it easier to get planning permission to build their dream home, and the Taoiseach has ordered a review on it. Uh, Martin's plan to help young people to build their own homes. It's a planning story that makes the paper today. There is a second one, actually, regarding uh, onboard planola. Uh, You may remember a controversy involving onboard planola over the past few months involving the former deputy chair of onboard planola, a man by the name of uh, Paul Hyde. He makes the papers this morning because there's the review going on into uh, claims that Mr. Hyde uh, was involved in a number of conflicts of interest, including voting against a housing development that backed onto land that he owned. The Independent this morning says the questions have also been raised about how Paul Hyde was appointed to onboard planola in the first place and they need to look through all of that. Now he's denied that he acted improperly uh, but the government is is awaiting this investigation into issues involving planning particularly three planning decisions Uh, one regarding a a proposal of a housing development at Distillery Quarter uh, in Blackpool the other uh, up in Dublin and a third then in in Carrick Tool. So kind of planning related stories making uh, the papers today. Uh, While the Echo leads actually with the story saying that there's serious concern um, about all sorts of house prices now, even affordable housing, where the Echo says this morning people are being priced out of a home, even affordable housing is now proving to be too expensive. And they quote a, a two bedroom house being made available for purchase at 217 grand and a three bedroom at 243 grand above in Boerboy in Lotamore. In other news this morning, uh, people are living longer and also want to work longer. And that's kind of interesting because they're leaving the pension and retirement age alone, uh, but they want to give people more money. Um, when they finish work first, you know, for that year or maybe two years is your transition. Uh, but there's another aspect to it as well, where they want to organize some sort of a pop style dole payment to people who go from a full salary if they lose their job to like 208 euro a week. Um, and in some cases, it could be an awful lot higher than 208 euro a week. And that's why the independent call it a pop style dole payment is on the cards. Papers also this morning have some good news, a story that we dealt with on air uh, about a week ago. And this was um, the possibility uh, that uh, stepping stones would close for good up in Farnry. Now, there was a, a gathering, a meeting on Monday. And uh, I remember talking about it on the air that there were other people with other businesses who were happy to step in and take over the management of Stepping Stones Crash, uh, the preschool in Farnree. Um, and that's on the cards again now, according to Tommy Gould within Sinn Féin, because uh, Cork City Childcare, that deals with all of this, have said that they're happy to tender, to advertise the tender for stepping stones today. And what I think is really interesting about that story is that's all to do with people power. You know, that's all to do with people saying, no, we're not going to take this. We're not going to let it shut. Um, There are children here who will suffer. There are families here that will suffer. We're going to do something about it. Not online. I hope that it works out that somebody does actually, um, you know, apply for the tender and and get to take it over. But it also goes to show how people power can work with regards to AIB. As we were coming off the air on Friday morning, 
AIB reversed their decision. You could hear the reverse sound of beep, 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 as AIB reversed out of that one and said, okay, we're not going to close the ATMs. Okay, we're not going to take away all of the services at 70 different ATM brand, AIB branches across the country. Why? Well, all to do with people power. A lot of sporting relating stories, related stories in the papers today, not all great. God, how many times do I have to talk about people's sports pitches and sports equipment being vandalised? It's a popular football club on the north side makes the echo today, Castleview. Um, their fencing was all torn down. Fires were lit in seven place, several places all over the grounds. Um, the goalpost was ripped out of the ground as well. The pitches were destroyed with litter from glass bottles and all sorts of other rubbish. Uh, some of the locks were broken and stolen. Um, and you know what? Most of the people that engage with the club up there do so on a voluntary basis. And it must be heartbreaking for somebody to walk in of a morning and see the state of the place. Um, well, did you see <laughs> Apple Green at the weekend? When was this? Was Sorry, I know I asked. Was this yesterday? Uh, Sunday morning, Apple Green uh, decided to drop their prices um, to 175 and 177. I have photographs from across Cork where people were queuing and queuing and queuing. There's one here from Kinsale Beg with a massive queue. There's another one from Harbourview Road with a huge queue of cars waiting to get a fill up at 175 or 176. And there's more down in Cove. Just goes to show it can be done. You know, you can drop your own. I know this was this was to, wasn't it to celebrate an anniversary or birthday of of Appergreen, but they dropped their prices and the people responded with queues. Not everybody got to fill, actually, because I think at one stage, did the Gardaí get involved because the traffic back up it was chaotic in places with people queuing to get into the petrol station. But um, it's interesting because Kieran sent me a screen grab then. He says, Malta, today, the price, well, the, the sign has the price of all of the petrol, also has the temperature in Malta, uh, 32 degrees, and the cost of unleaded, €1.34. The cost of diesel, €1.21. You got to ask yourself why. And Kieran says, Malta today. Just a reminder that Malta is part of the European Union. When our government tells you that the EU regulations prevent them from lowering fuel costs, well, if Malta can do it, so can we. So what's going on? Why is diesel one21 in uh, Malta and it's over €2 a litre in Ireland? And how come Apple Green can drop their prices to 175 and 177 uh, for two and a half hours or so? Meanwhile, we have the highest car rentals in the world, or at least we had the highest car rental hike in the world, up 267% in a year. That's the cost that Ireland's car hire prices rose in a year, 267%. Uh, I, I mean, you just you couldn't make this stuff up. Papers also talk of lighthearted stories to start. Uh, oh, actually, I shouldn't call it a lighthearted story because while you might be smiling reading it, it's actually very serious. If you have a pet that dies in the family, it is like a family member, isn't it? It really can be like somebody in the family dies. And that's why animal charity Dog Trust has called on employers to offer compassionate leave when a pet when a pet dies that somebody should be entitled to take a day or a couple of days off if your dog or your cat. I don't know about a budgie or a canary now or a hamster or anything like that, but certainly when it comes to uh, a dog day to mourn the passing of your pooch. What are your thoughts on that? Text 0868104106. You might be interested to know as well that the same survey said that almost three quarters 
of the public admit to having more photographs of their dogs on their phone than their partner, their family or their friends. And I know you're listening to me, lads, and I know you agree. Because in our household alone, I can guarantee you, there are at least two members that have more photographs of our dog than they have of me. Well, you wouldn't blame them for not having a lot of photographs of me and the big ugly puss on me. But seriously, though, dogs, dog, photograph, photograph, sharing, 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 video of this, that and the other. The cuteness of it all. Papers also this morning talk about um, the amount of snack boxes that are going to be eaten above at the Galway races. Wouldn't it be great if we had something like the Galway? I know we have the Mallow races and we have other race meetings like that, but it'd be fantastic to have something on the scale of... Like if we had the Mallow races meets Puck Fair, meets the Rosa Tralee, all of that once a year in Cork. You know, it'd be a fantastic thing. 12,000 snack boxes would be... That's all they eat in Galway, actually. That's their staple diet. I saw the Galway players had Supermax on their jersey yesterday. <laughs> I'd say they maybe ate one or two too many snack boxes for they couldn't bait Kerry. But 12,000 snack boxes will be eaten at the race meetings and a half a million pints of stout will be poured, apparently. Yes, indeed, lads, they're off, the Galway races. Um, and ju- I'm going to come back to the one on driving instructors and driving testers a little later on this morning. But apparently, if you're a fan of um, uh, sitcoms and television series, the likes of Faulty Towers. You might be interested to know that John Cleese only made £4,500 for starring in Faulty Towers. He made another £4,500 for writing it. So in total, he made change out of eight grand. Um, apparently, according to the papers today. Um, he's having a couple of financial worries at the moment because apparently he has paid out €26 million Euro in divorce settlements. Six million euro in divorce settlements. It's a huge amount of money. And if you were watching uh, the football yesterday, the All Ireland, I kind of stupidly said here today, this morning, I said it to Kevin. I said, I suppose, you know, I suppose if Cork can't win it, we're probably all right with Kerry winning it. He looks around at me like as if I had two heads. He said, Are you serious? Are you spending too much time in Kerry? There's serious rivalry still between Cork and Kerry. Maybe I'm wrong. I would have thought that if we can't win the All Ireland, might as well be Kerry. I mean, who who else so? If not Kerry, give me a county that you'd pick ahead of Kerry. If we're not in the All-Ireland final, who do we want to win? Derry, is it maybe? Northerners? I mean, you tell me. Your mic isn't open anyway, so you can't answer me. Galway? Why? Well, because it's just, you can't be, it's like, it's like a You're United fan. You're doing it again fan. now, I just said, well, well if Cork can't win, it might be our closest neighbours. It's like a United fan wanting Liverpool to win the Premier League. It just, there are neighbours. You don't want your neighbours kind no? of giving you the na 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 no? across the border. Like, no. Are we, are we that small-minded and narrow-minded? Ah, that's just rivalry, Neil, isn't it? But you, well, I wouldn't, you, I, I, I'd much rather see Galway, a county that hasn't won it in so long, than to see Kerry pick up Mayo, another one. so maybe. But but I, I wouldn't mind seeing Mayo, in fairness. But, but not Kerry. No, just they've won it so many. De- and are you know now down cocky? It was the last time he won in All Ireland. It was a long time ago. No, I couldn't be having that. What about you would say the same about the other our other neighbours, Waterford? Was your Tipperary? We border all. So I have a soft spot for Waterford because I lived there, so it's slightly different. And they haven't won in All Ireland since 1952, so uh, it's slightly different. But Actually, you know, you talk about stats. The amazing stats: twenty-one All Ireland medals in the Spillane household. Twenty-one. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. More. I'd say the Spillane household has more. All Ireland medals, then what? Like, just probably 26 or 27 counties of Ireland. 
Ireland combined have less medals than that one household. It was so sad. You know this clip that we have? Is this the mm. clip where he talks about his dad? Mm, I think Just so. Yeah, Seamus has it lined up there, yeah. And it is, is power, it is, really powerful it's stuff, bit, actually, yeah. in fairness. Have a listen to it. This is um, where he kind of broke down, had a few tears yesterday. Part of the punditry after the win. After the win, we know Devil is a very talented bunch coming through, but talent doesn't necessarily mean to win our Ireland. So we were getting impatient there. But this year, I saw a different bunch. This year, I saw a resilient bunch. But and it's it's brilliant to see David Clifford delivering and getting an All Ireland medal. And just from a personal point of view. Uh, in 1964, my father was a selector for Kerry against Galway, and the night before he was, the night before the game, he had a pain in the chest. Went to the wouldn't go to the doctor. Went to the game the following day, selector, and was dead on Tuesday. And and Kerry Galway matches to me always bring back this memory. And my father never saw us play the three sons, and today the three sons have 19 all Ireland medals. And his two grandsons today, uh, Gideon and Adrian, have two more. He would have been a proud man to have 21 all medals, senior football medals into his house. So it's just a special day. A special day. Yeah, special day. Absolutely beautiful. Really, really sad. Um, what in the name of God is that man doing retiring? He's at peak. Is he? I tell you what, I bet she's going to Sky Sports. Oh, I was just going to say the same thing. I wonder how much Sky would pay for him. I bet you he's going to Sky Sports. Mm. Would you think he's retiring? I'd, I'd be, you know what, I, the purist in me would, would hate to see this whole grandioso thing about, you know, Pat Spillane off the air and then only to see him pop up on Sky next year. But he's earned it if he goes there. I mean, he's... His daughter actually posted some lovely photographs yeah, on Twitter. Did you see that? I did. And what were, what were the questions under it? Is your dad going to Sky? Is your dad going to Sky? It's just look. That's that's the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, I think it's great. Like whatever about Gaelic football, I wouldn't be a huge fan of the sport, but I think it's fantastic that an all an all Ireland hurling final is broadcast across the water to England, not just for the expats. Could you there, imagine it uh, with hurling and football in America on on oh, Sky? Oh, well, bring it to Wembley. We should do what the the NFL do. We should do a preseason. He, he said last week in the papers that he was retiring because he just had enough of it. He was tired of it. I wonder, is it true? I, I don't know. I mean, I can understand that as well. Uh, like, punditry is, uh, it seems like an easy job to sit there in your couch and basically chat away about the game. But brilliant, though. We, uh, very good, but like, you just, the amount of stick that you get. Do you know if fellas coming up to you in the street, I'd say, oh, you don't know anything about this, oh, really? or you say anything. Oh, it's like, you know, fellas are so tribal when it comes and to sports. And they're passionate TV. about it. Exactly, yeah. So I can imagine after that amount of time, you can be a bit bit fed up of it but uh, uh, yeah I, 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 he would be a great addition to Sky but I, I, I don't think know I'd, if he's going to retire though. he's too good what's this tribute here is this yours Seamus is this um, the bit from the Sunday game or something last night was it Seamus has no has no headset ok I think it is um, let's we'll give it a whirl ok let's well, a little bit earlier on, we were across the road having a cup of tea. Up on the wall, there was a picture of some of the greats of Gaelic football. The man beside me here was one of those people pictured. Pat Spillane from Kerry. Pat, you're very, very welcome to this occasion. Well, I don't know who your idea of the man of the match is, but I know that mine is Pat Spillane. It's great to win, and just I hope my mother has calmed down a little bit now and said we're all OK. What about our own man, Pat Spallad? Like I said, you can't stay out in the sun for more than 10 minutes. My arms are a little bit red at the moment. 
the live television televised games is, to, is indeed to be welcomed. Hello and welcome to the Sunday game. So I mean, I will call a game as I see. I think somebody's out to punish me because this is the second week in a row I've had to endure an absolutely awful load of rubbish from Ulster Championship football. There's a banner out there. Are you watching? Top Spillan. To describe today's football, I don't know how I describe it. I call it puke football. If Tender did provincial champions, I'd be swiping right to Ulster. Sorry for being a perfectionist now, but these okay. things are important. Uh, you know, Oscar Wilde said there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked not about. Being talk. Here, John Casey jumping in to readjust John McDermott's head a little bit. And you can talk about systems till, you, till I'm blue in the face. A couple of great examples of, of, of uh, slow waltzes and whatever like that. Oh, it's paralysis by analysis. He'd, he'd make Michael flatly eat his hat up because this is a wonderful high leg action here. This GPS uh, bra-like garment. No, it's modern-day football just Got wrong. Gee, that's biceps, triceps. I mean, he looks fantastic. Ooh, to paraphrase one of the Gospels, forgive him, Lord, for he knows not what he says or writes many times. That's a load of rubbish, by Sean, to be quite honest. When you see another crowd acting the Q Tour and being even better at it than us, and that was Tyrone, and who else but Pats Golan as the scorer? This game of Gaelic football has been infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. We're very happy at the moment. You know, the word humble and Pats Golan don't, don't fit hand to hand. Surely one of the great footballers, ladies and gentlemen, of our time. Say uh, the facts. No, the best teams, the cream will always come to the top. The best footballers. Pats Golan, when Thank you very much. I'd say it's a case of watch this space. I'd say this plan is far from finished. Anyway, if you watched it yesterday, even though there was no cork involvement, hope you enjoyed it. Calls, texts, and comments on the way after the break. Text 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, uh, a couple of people have died and two have been arrested after a shooting in Whistler, BC in um, on the west coast of, of Canada. It's unheard of in, in Canada to have this kind of stuff. Uh, apparently it was inter-gang uh, warfare broke out there and there was bodies on the sidewalks on the side of the street and many people were running indoors to hide and try and take refuge from it. I mention it to you because uh, it's a Cork tourist caught up in the middle of it. Uh, Grania MacDonald was in Whistler in um, uh, BC, British Columbia, when all of this happened. I just caught up with her uh, earlier this morning because it was just before midnight her time. A traumatic day for a Cork tourist in Canada. Gemma, thanks for taking... Hang on, my apologies for this. I just need to get myself started. Here it is. This is me chatting with Grania just before we came on air. Grania, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. And listen, thank you for staying up. I do appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to recap today as to what actually happened in Whistler. You got caught up in a gangland shooting that re- resulted in two men being shot to death. You, you were there in Whistler. You're on holidays, are you? Yeah, I'm here in Vancouver for three weeks, just having a lovely holiday for myself. And we were actually in Whistler. Um, we were having breakfast. And we were just walking through the village and we heard these loud noises, I'd say about five or six loud noises. And I turned to my friend and I was like, oh, imagine they were gunshots. Oh, my God. And she was like, oh, no, that would never happen in Canada. No. Like the safest place ever. And then just as we were talking about that, crowds started to rush past us and they started screaming, shooter, shooter. Oh, my God. Um, and we still looked at each other and we were like, is this actually real? We kind of still thought it was a joke until um, this guy kind of accidentally hit my leg with his bike just in sheer panic. 
and it kind of that little bit of a, a hit kind of woke me up to the situation and I said okay this isn't actually a joke this is real so we just ran and we all hid in shops um, so it, it was just a bit of a surreal situation so what you had heard were actual gunshots so I was just reading up on it this morning at least 10 perhaps more gunshots in rapid succession I believe it was inter-gangland related was that right two guys were killed yeah yeah apparently just because I was reading up on it after as well it was gang related I think one of the brothers was killed um, a year ago and it was nearly like a retaliation oh my god so people literally ran indoors to barricade themselves in safety inside in shops is that what you did so we actually were hiding out in an alleyway, still kind of not sure about what to do. And then we started seeing like shops closing their doors. But there was no kind of announcement on what to do. There was no alert uh, messages, which apparently um, one of my Canadian friends were saying an alert message should have been sent out to everyone's phone. Um, and then we walked up to a bar and then there were crowds rushing into that bar which kind of scared everybody. All the bartenders were bawling, crying. People were shouting. And at that moment, we were like, oh, no, it's the shooter just around the corner. Because when people are running, you automatically think there's something close by. Yeah, yeah, that's a realistic fear, isn't it? Because you don't know what's going to happen next. And uh, you're hiding and, and hoping that you're not next. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, like I have never in my life experienced that feeling and that fear and you're you're just a bit helpless and your your initial reaction is to not run indoors as well because it feels like you can't run anywhere you're you're nearly trapped against the wall when you're indoors that they can just kind of shoot everyone and i think because we heard so many gunshots we didn't know how many people this person was kind of killing so you actually don't know whether you're running out of danger or into danger, right? Yeah, exactly. And we only found out after that myself and my friend were literally only, I'd say, one one kind of block away from the actual shooting itself. So we were probably very close. We actually got split from our group. Did you witness what happened next? I mean, obviously the RCMP, Canadian police would arrive. Would they, armed response, things like that? Yeah, so um, one of the rescue members came into the bar and told us, I'd say about maybe 45 minutes later, that we were allowed to go out again, that it was okay. And when we did go out, everything was kind of sectioned off with tape. And we actually saw the people who were shot, and they were on stretchers um, in the ambulance. Um, These were two different gangs, I believe. Uh, One was a... um carrying semi-automatic pistols or, or something like that. I mean, gun, sh- gun, sh- gun shootings are rare in, in Canada. That's what, your, that's what your pal said, and sh- she's absolutely right. Rather unheard of, as opposed to America. How, how did you feel afterwards? I mean, does, does shock set in then, or were you upset? The shock definitely set in. Like, we, we finally got to meet my cousins, the group that we were separated from. And, like, some of my cousins were very scared with the situation. But I suppose the worrying thing was the shooter was still out there. He wasn't actually caught. So 
I think there's still a bit of an uneasy feeling about the situation. And hasn't been caught since, no? No, this is the this is the interesting thing. So we we left Whistler straight away then, and we were driving along the uh, motorway, and then one lane was completely shut off. There was all uh, cop cars, and there was a black car. All the doors opened, and the killer had actually been uh, captured in Starbucks there, which he- was in a town called Squamish. So he, so he was caught subsequently. Yeah, he was caught. Um, Squamish is about maybe a, a 35, 45-minute drive from Whistler Village. And that's where he was caught. He actually had ditched his car that he drove in and he burned it because there was a fire and smoke. And then he took a different car and drove. Yeah, I think he was trying to drive back to Vancouver. Inter-gang-related, as you were saying earlier on. Yeah, drug-related at the end of the day. Has it impacted on the rest of your holiday? I mean, how are you feeling now? Well, I think today was definitely um, a day that we were all a bit shook from. We all just wanted to get home, get back to Vancouver, and not one of us are <laughs> doing anything. It's uh, We all just wanted to kind of speak to, I suppose, our own family and hear kind of familiar voices, I suppose, you know? Yeah, I can understand that, absolutely. Life is precious, isn't it? Particularly when you come that close to gunshots and, you know, witnessing people being shot to death. Just before I let you go, um, you heard the gunshots going off, but did it sound like gunshots? You know? It nearly nearly sounded like these loud bangs, like nearly someone was hitting timber or something like that. Yeah. But then it also did sound like gunshots because I said oh there's probably a shooting range nearby which there is so it was kind of all very believable and still very innocent that that I, I suppose when you come to Whistler it is the most magical perfect village you could ever imagine it nearly looks like it's fake because everything is so perfect. I know. Everything is so pristine. Yeah. It's a tourist resort. It would be like something happening uh, in Niagara, you know, or something like happening like in a tourist attraction here in Cork, for God's sake. You're really caught unaware, aren't you? And you probably feel very helpless and panicked. I was reading this morning, there was an awful lot of uh, families there and small children and they were all very, very upset. Thank God everybody's okay, though. Will you get on with the rest of your holiday now? Oh, absolutely. We won't let this uh, little blip in the road uh, affect us. Okay. We'll uh, kind of enjoy ourselves now and let our hair down and just uh, still keep enjoying Canada. It's honestly the most beautiful country ever and the hikes and the scenery and the people are all so lovely. So I definitely will keep enjoying myself. Good for you. Well, I'm glad you're safe and everybody else is as well. Enjoy the rest of your break. Thanks for taking the call, Grania. Thanks for staying up. No problem, Neil. Anytime. Thanks a million. An awful fright, absolutely. And I say our family and friends back in Cork got an awful fright too. Thank you to Grania. And fair play to Peter who texted Neil. 13 people were shot dead in a pub in a gang-related shooting in Montreal in 1975. I was in there, said Peter. Oh my God, what an horrific thing. And he says in 1995, four men were shot dead in another pub 
on one night alone. It has happened before. Thank you for that. Text 0868104106. I also want to say thank you very much also to Marie, who sent me a copy. She says, I'm absolutely heartbroken reading an email that was sent to Ireland Updates. It's a family struggling while working. They're both nurses. Please, please read it out. This nurse's email should be read in the hope that we can help them. Well, you're absolutely right, right, Marie. And the lads sent me a copy of it. And here it is. I'm going to leave this sweet and short message with you. As the TDs leave for the summer break on their highly inflated salaries, I walked in on my husband with a noose around his neck this morning. Uh, He wanted out. He couldn't bear to see us suffering any longer. Oh, my God. Both of us are nurses. We can no longer afford our mortgage of €250,000. We can't afford the longed-for three children that we were blessed with. We can no longer afford food to feed myself and himself. We barely afford to feed our three children. Neither of us drink or smoke. We work opposite shifts as much as possible to save on childcare. Yet, we're crumbling. We haven't gone on a holiday since before we were married. My husband, who saved lives, is so ashamed that he can't provide for us. It's just heartbreaking. I'm ashamed too. I've told no one. We are failures. We are ordinary, hardworking people who are sinking rapidly. He isn't the only one dying. We both are. I wanted to go with him. The only reason I didn't join him in ending this is because I couldn't bear for our children to know how much we struggled. And also, I couldn't bear to leave them alone in this crappy, greedy, self-serving world. The cost of living is simply killing us. The governments, the government and the expletive word greens in government are killing us as they boast about green walkways. For God's sake, we can't afford food. FFS. Enjoy your holidays, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Green Party. I dread the idea that you could ever continue to rule Ireland and put more of us into early graves. No doubt you will, be, you will put many more of us into early graves and then clap yourselves on the back on television for caring for us and saving an environment that's already shagged by countries like South America, China and India. We can no longer afford to fill our cars with fuel to get us to work. Amen. Congratulations on being so environmentally friendly whilst killing us. My husband is now getting treatment in hospital, thankfully, but it's just a matter of time before he feels he's had enough again and I'm not there to find him or vice versa. I'm sorry for my rant. Please forgive my bad language. In the, I'm in the worst absolute period of my life with no end in sight. So absolutely that needed to be read out. God only knows um, you know how bad it is for uh, some people in the days that we're living through now. A €250,000 mortgage, you know, in all fairness, for two working people with a €250,000 euro mortgage, you would think that they would be able to make the repayments on it, pay their bills and put food on the table and go on holidays and have a happy life. But in the world that we live in now and in Ireland, God knows every time I do price comparisons between here and overseas, it's shocking, isn't it? But that's a heartbreaking message posted um, on a public forum this morning. 
And I bet you there are many other stories like that. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. So just on that point, uh, thank you, Karen, for the screen grab. Malta um, today unleaded €1.34. Uh, diesel €1.21. If Malta can do it, why can't we? Now the text who's overseas. I'm in Spain. Diesel is one ninety nine a litre. I filled the tank with 50 euro worth. And when I went to pay the 50 euro, I was charged 44 euro after the government discount was applied. A government discount. What a wonderful thing. Why can't we even have that? So that's what the Spanish have. I also mentioned the prices in Malta. Why can't we have a government discount at the pumps as well. Text 0868104106. Staying with travel-related matters, can I get Brian on the air if you don't mind? Brian, good morning. How's it going, Neil? I'm good, my man. Are you home? Are you still overseas? Where are you? No, I'm at home, yeah. I'm okay. Car. Okay. And how were you treated? I know that your, your son is on the autism spectrum, lives with it. Uh, what happened? We were coming back from Fort Ventura, Neil, on Saturday. Yeah. And he has a little bag that he puts under the seat. Now he brings his iPad with him on yeah. the flight. You know, you can download stuff so that doesn't, you can connect to the... You don't have to have Wi-Fi or anything. That's just right. That. And it entertains him for the for the duration of the flight most of the time. And he just bits and bobs inside it that keeps him happy. Maybe stimulation toys that he'd be squeezing in off his hands and stuff. Small bag, though, um, was it like? Oh, a tiny thing. Oh, this thing went, went under the seat. It was... He went under the seat on the way out. No, and I, like, I am... A, I, I was a non-priority seat, but I, it didn't matter on the way out because it was under his seat. Right. So I was coming down through through the... The, the pass was in Fort Ventura, which it was like trying to get out of North Korea, Neil. It was check after check after check after check. What are they so checking she, like? Why, why are they checking? I, I don't know. There was, three, there, there was two different stages. We did two different passport checks. It was, it was mayhem and the heat inside there. But look, we got through it Ireland and we could see and as you're coming up. Normally in Ireland, they flew to Shannon. And if you go to the help desk in Shannon... You explain that you your son's on the spectrum or your daughter, whatever. They give you a lounge cap, and it's a great service there. It just shows that someone, and you don't have to wear it if he doesn't like it. No, he does wear it actually when he's inside there. So it just shows that he's, uh, you know, this. You hear the security talking when you're going through one spot. Then listen, we have a little boy with an lounge cap coming through and his family, and they just bring it to one side, and they make it very comfortable and easy for you. Okay, okay. So Which there is, is nice. there there are special protocols for lads like your son. Yeah, and that's in, that's in Shannon. Right. But in Fort Ventura, then, there's nothing in... None of them speak English. None of them that I met anyway. Okay, somebody who take and his... Somebody want to take his little... You see, for a, a little boy with, with autism... Um, do, do, do I know his name? Do you want to share his name? His name is Luke. Luke, okay. So for, for Luke, he needs his routine, doesn't he? He needs he does, things, he he needs to have things he around him that he's comfortable and familiar with, right? And it makes, it makes everybody slightly uh, less awkward than for everyone else. Shock it down. But he was coming down and the guy took the bag from me and I had two bags. We all had, we all had a small carry-on bag. And like the funny thing about all this as well was they actually, the, the backpack that I had for carrying on was bigger than Luke's for myself. And my wife had one, and that was also bigger than the two boys, the two my two lads. Yeah. So I have another son as well, and he's he he's not on the spectrum. He's he's all good. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, so the guy said to me, he said, "This is you can't take this." And his English wasn't great. And I said, "Sorry." I said, "This is his." I said, "This is my son." I said, "He's got autism." I said, "This is his baggy stuff," and he just took the bag from me. And he said, "No," and I took it back up to the unit. I said, "It fits in there." I said, "What's the problem?" 
And he said, no, this cannot go. Oh, that's the little gadgety thing that they have to measure the size of a bag. Yeah, just it, as it you're fits going in there. And I'm looking at him, I said, but it fits in there. I said, what's the problem? Yeah. And he took the bag from me and he put a yellow strap in it. Then he took the other bag and he put a yellow strap in that. And he says, 45 euro. And I, of course, the fuse was lit with me at this stage now, like, and my wife was just telling me to calm down. She said, just pay the money, right? She said, and let's get out of here. Hang on a second. So 45 euros is an awful lot of money for a small little bag yeah. with an iPad in it. Yeah, so I paid it. I then discovered when I got off the flight in Ireland that it was actually, when I checked the bank account, it was actually 90 euros. They took the two bags. But, Neil, when, when we got through eventually, we eventually, this took a big rigmarole of what happened. All. When we eventually got through, and Luke was standing there the whole time waiting, seeing everybody pass away, we got on the, when we, they put you on a bus and take you to the, to, from the terminal to the, Plane, and when we get off, there's a guy waiting there. And if he sees the yellow tag, he takes the bag and he puts it into the car where the rest of the luggage goes that you check in. But he looked at the bag and he saw it, it was so small, he looked at it and he shook his head like. So they still they left me carry it on board, but they still charged me 45 euros for it. Are you sure that it was Luke's bag they took the 45 euro for and not the yes, bigger one had you to, had and the bigger one no, you had? No, no. No, I had them on board, and I had the little tag on it. So, in my, in my, uh, when she got calmed down a small bit, I suppose when we got, when we got flying and stuff, and Luke was good because we actually had the bag then. Yeah. I said, look, I said, at least we have it in there, and he had his iPad and everything. And on we went to Ireland. I got off in Ireland. I said to Amy, she was going through passport control, and, her, and I said I was ahead of her. She has, she's got a New Zealand passport, so. She had, to, it would take a little bit longer just for yeah, the clear. Yeah. I went to her, she said, I said, let me go and see someone in Ryanair. And up to Ryanair, this, and the girl behind the looked at me, she says, my computer's broken, there's nothing I can do for you. That was her answer. I explained the situation, and this was her answer. I actually had the bag with me. So, that's, and that's all she could do for you? Yeah, nothing. That's all she said to me. And then she, then she, she, uh, that was fine. I said, right, I went up to, the help desk in Shannon Airport with the girls. She said, look, I'm only just standing here. She said, I don't know much about her at all. She said, I said, is there anyone I can talk to? And she said, no. So I said, that was it. That was about it. But I just said it was an absolute disgrace to behave by Ryanair to take 45 euros for a little bag that you were still allowed to carry on. And of course, you might as well be trying to ring, I'd say, to be easier to get through to, to Kim Jong-un than to get through to someone in Ryanair at this stage. So you yes, were charged 45 euro for Luke's tiny bag and another yes, 45 euro for whose else's bag? It was another little bag as well. It was uh, just a, a carry-on bag for my son, my other son. But I mean, They're bits and bobs then? Bits and bobs and pieces like that. And look, the two bags that myself and my wife were low carry-on one charged for them at all and they were backpacks but they were bigger. And you didn't have a different ticket to them. I, f- I don't know how it works. No, priority and non-priority. Some people. No, no, to- they were all. Yeah, and like I said, they were all non-priority. I had no issue that because I didn't know about it. But at the same time, if these apparently if they're non-priority, but if it fits under the seat, it's fine. But I was still charged. So you just met you just met somebody who was having a bad day, I suppose. You know. I, I probably did. I was unfortunate, but it's just bad farm that right now you can't get in touch with anyone and even ask them a question about this. Yeah. And yeah. when you go to, when you go to a, f- a physical person, uh, your answer is computer says no. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. You My know, computer I, is broken, it, is what she said. Yes, she said. But more or less, like she said, even if the computer was on, she just said, "Well, I can't do it like they just took the money." I said, "Look, it's this." But on the Ryanair website, is there a section for complaints or feedback? I actually probably wouldn't. I don't think I could actually go through the process of 
I've gone through that because it said it, it would be a living hell that you can't pick up the phone and speak to someone, a human being, and say, listen, and if, if, I, if Ryan Hale said to me, listen, we made a mistake there, we shouldn't, that shouldn't have been done, that's fine. But like the hassle you're going through inside the airport with a, with a child on the autism spectrum, you just want them to get, go through quickly and get it over. And you said that, didn't you? My son has yes, autism, thought, he needs his him. iPad, it's a tiny little yeah. bag. Yeah, if you saw this thing, this thing is tiny, like it slipped under the seat, it slipped under the seat and right. And even the guy, the baggage guy, looked at it and he just said, "Yeah, take it on board." He said, "That shouldn't be. That's not for, for luggage, at all, like." So why charge a forty-five euro and still put a yellow tag in it to go in the hold? What's that about? I'd like to, I'd like to say something that I, I shouldn't probably say on air, and I'm not going to. That's what they're a bunch of. That's what Ryanair do, is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Here's a text here. That the exact same thing happened to me that happened to Brian and his son. We had to pay thirty five euro per person at the desk. Our bags were tagged, and we were told our bags would be taken at the steps. Nobody there to take them. We paid thirty five euro per person, and our bags were still with us for the duration of the trip. We're still waiting on a refund. Um, what is the rule with bags and Ryanair? Um, you know, if 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 you if you arrive. Priority or non-priority, and you have a pulley bag. Did you, did, did you have you already paid for that, or is it free? I think I think that is, if you're non-priority, that if the bag fits under the seat, you can. Yeah, because they have, they, they have two sections you can fit these seat, these into, and one you can if it fits under. There's one priority thing and there's one non-priority thing, but this little thing fitted into non-priority and went under the seat. And this is what I couldn't understand. Like, and like even the guy left me carry it handboard anyway, so it was all the same. But I thought you get 10 kg to get on. With you. Apparently, so. And again, no, I'd say you'd probably want a doctorate in law probably to figure out Ryanair's. Well, that's why I'm asking the question because I can't follow it anyway. I know Ryanair do one thing, Aer Lingus do another. There's very little difference now anymore between the likes of how Aer Lingus and Ryanair do their business. But somebody says, Ryanair, you get one bag to go under the seat and you can get a 10 kg carry on from six euro if you book early enough. Is that, does that make sense? Possibly so, but I know that there was there was a free carry on. When I booked it, I I paid the the for sixty euros each way for a check-in bag. Ah, so I paid that because I I, I paid are. that for the big bag, right? I yeah. paid that for the big bag, and that was fine. That was checked in, and the rest of it was um, the rest of it. Then they had free a free carry on, so it was a carry on. So I just carried it on, and on the way out, there was no issue on the way out with this. There was no issue in Shannon. This is, this is a bit of a money-making lark to catch tourists. That's what it is. It is, probably. Yeah, it is. It's, it's money-making to take a small little boy on the autism spectrum and to take a small bag off him with his iPad. He needs his routine on board the flight. In actual fact, without being disrespectful to anyone, it's very good for all the passengers around him as well in the event it of is, getting of upset. Yeah. yeah, sure. He doesn't, he doesn't have any little bit of a meltdown or... You know, and and again, he was he was in great behaviour on the way back in the flight. That wasn't the word of him. And you he think, was it, and yeah, yeah. He was doing you think it's pointless now at this stage now to even try and get somebody to respond to you because in the world we live in now, you can't talk to anybody anyway. No, I'd say it'd be a waste of time. I'd say it'd be it would be an absolute waste of time. And what what made what probably aggravated me the most was I said to the guy there was one English speaking guy who was an English chap came down to the on the ramp where we were being charged the forty five euro. And I said to him, um, I said, look, I said, what's the problem here? I said to him, I said, this guy obviously hasn't got great English. I don't know what he's saying to me. He's not communicating properly to me. And like my understanding was that I was going, I was going to be charged 45 euros at that point when he ended up getting charged 90 euros. But I said, that, what's the problem here? And he said, don't blame us for doing our job. I know. And I said, we, we I said, this didn't happen on the way out. I said, 
Nobody took the advice off us. They said, that's, yeah, not, a great, that's not a great response. Don't blame us for doing our job. I mean, that's what he said to me. Don't blame me not... for, 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 for doing our job. They didn't do correctly in Ireland, he said to me. Yeah, it's not great customer care, though. Here's one before I let you go. Ryan error a joke. I'm not surprised they charged for the little boy's bag. I just came back from Spain. They charged me 50 euro for my eight-month-old baby to sit on my lap on the flight. An eight-month-old baby cannot sit on a seat on their own. So when you sit with the baby on your lap, they charge you 50 euro for the privilege. And if that girl, if that, if, if, they say, if that woman put her baby on the seat, they turn around and say, buckle in the baby. How would you buckle in the you baby into a seat? You can't buckle in an eight-month-old baby. Can't. You can't <laughs> leave the baby out of your arms. They can't what? be charging you 50 euro for an eight-month-old baby. They just can't. Anyway, I'm quite sure I'll get more texts like this. If you have any updates or feedback on that, come back to me, will you, Brian? I will, Neil. Thank you so much. Thanks for picking up the phone, taking my call. Noreen, good morning. Good morning. What do you make, um, what do you make of the 50 like... euro for the eight-month-old baby? <laughs> Is that true? I don't, I honestly don't know. I honestly have come to the conclusion that Ryanair have told the people when you're coming back from holidays, charge whoever you can. Yeah. I believe, you know, uh, my thing came And of course, back, people have loads uh, of money coming back from their holidays, don't they? Not. Oh, oh they do, yeah. yeah. It's all credit card that charge you then, like, yeah. and like that, they do charge you. And you have no choice but to pay it unless you leave the bag after you. So you, do you think that's a you different know? protocol when people are coming back from their holidays with airlines? Um, as opposed oh, yes. to going, oh, you do? I do with Ryanair. With Ryanair. Not with Aer Lingus, but with Ryanair, yes. Okay. I do. What I've happened? been on both flights. What happened with you? I went out I went out from Shannon. I paid for my 10 kg bag to be overhead, and I had a small little bag underneath. It was 10 kg coming back, and it, it, they wouldn't let it on. I had to pay 70 euros to put it, to check it in. And like that, I don't know whether it was an orange tag or a yellow tag, but they took it off you. But wait, wait a second, you said you, pay, you paid for a 10 kg bag when you booked the flights? Yeah. Both ways? To go in overhead. Yeah. And it went in overhead, fitted in going out from Shannon, but didn't fit coming back. And where it's did the they... the same t- plane. Where, 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 how much, they took 70 euro for you on board the plane or at the check-in desk? Oh, at the check-in desk. At the, they don't let you on. Had you loads uh, of extra stuff inside? It was, no, no. It wasn't at the check-in desk. It was at the, you know, when you're just about to board, you're going through the departure gates. Yes. They're taking, checking you, and you're going out onto the bus or onto the tarmac. There is where they charge Oh, you. that's the last contact before you go to the plane, yeah, where they're checking yeah. and checking your seat number and checking your boarding pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... What did you say to them when, when they said... Because you said, I've already prepaid for this 10 kg bag. Oh, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't... They said, you can't take it on. You just... They wouldn't listen. They would not listen. They just said... I said, it's fitted coming out. It, are the Ryanair planes the same size? Yes, they are, was my, my answer. Well, if it fit coming out, why won't it fit going back? And what did You're they not say? Allowed to take it on. So You're why not then? Okay. So let's say that they said you can't take it on. Why didn't they just put it in the hold free of charge then? You'd already paid for it. No, they wouldn't. And you gave them seventy euro, did you? Well, I had no choice. <laughs> I had no choice if I wanted to bring home the bag. 
Why is it 70 euro? Why is it so much money for a bag? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it didn't weigh, it was still 10 kg. The weight was not the issue. And there's no scales, of course. No, that'd be too smart to have a scales there. Oh, to, yeah. To weigh them. Well, it, it didn't weigh more than 10 kg. I, I know. know that. I know, but they don't, I'm saying they I've, don't have I've a scales. It. They don't have a scales that we can put it up on it and prove it like they don't. No, no. But okay. I, I honestly believe at the other side, you're coming back and if it, you meet the wrong person or you meet a person who says, oh, no, no, you can't. It's, I, I think it's a money-making scam for Ryanair. And you believe it's the home leg that they do it all the time, is it? Oh, yes. Okay. Not the outward bound, it's okay. the home leg. Okay, let's see what other people think of that. Thank you so much. 70 euro lighter. Thank you, Noreen. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Of course, we had lots of conversations like this. Not exactly uh, travel-related, but certainly customer service or lack of it. Um, and that had to do with the AIB last week. And, of course, they did a, a reverse. They reversed out of that one fairly sharpish Friday morning. You, you could say that it was the Taoiseach's intervention, although I don't think it was. I really think it was a public backlash that may, made AIB decide, embarrassingly, that they weren't going to close ATMs. A lot of texts on that. All this not accepting cash all started with COVID and was driven by the government. Ironic, isn't it? Cash is legal tender. I would have thought that it always has to be accepted full stop. They're, an ever-increasing amount of businesses now that just won't take cash or are only interested in debit cards. Um, I was at Adair Manor for golf a few weeks back. While looking for food, it was crazy. The queues were huge. Then a few hours later, the queues vanished and it was cash only. Their broadband had crashed. They weren't long reverting to cash then. You know the little rides in the shopping centre for kids that you used to put two euro in? They've now moved to tap the card. Is it tap the card only? Or is it a case of either or? Uh, people, and this is kind of somewhat irrelevant now to some extent because AIB changed their mind, but I think people were cancelling their AIB accounts. I heard from Permanent TSB that they'd run a people looking to open accounts. If we go cashless, we'll be slaves to the bank and the government. It's all, it's all leading to a Chinese dictatorship. We must uh, push back against these criminals. What happened to the truck drivers in Canada? They cancelled their digital banking. Actually, you talk about um, a cashless society where everything is automated uh, and all customer service disappears where you don't get to actually speak any, to anybody anymore. See that story in the mail this morning? A robot was playing chess against this young fella and apparently the young fella took his move too quickly. The robot didn't understand why he took the move so quickly. He reached over mid-match, the robot did, grabbed the young fella's hand and broke his finger. Is that a thinking robot or what? I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Uh, some lovely prizes to give away right across this week, courtesy of uh, Douglas Food Court. Garden Goodness are on board. Hassett's Bakery on board. The Good Fish Company are on board. And the Butcher's Block are on board. And when you put all those together, you come up with a hamper every day worth uh, 350 euro each hamper, filled with the very best in produce from all of the above. Uh, four family-owned businesses. 
businesses that you'll find in Douglas Court Shopping Centre in their fabulous food courts. So Garden Goodness, Good Fish Company, The Butcher's Block and Hassets, can you imagine? the selection and variety. So that's what we've got to give away every day this week, a €350 hamper, courtesy of those four family businesses in Douglas Court. More on that throughout the course of the morning. Uh, Just a selection of texts, actually, because we spoke a lot last week. We'll come back to calls in a minute. We spoke a lot last week about a cashless society and how everything is changing now. Whether or not AIB have reversed the idea of getting rid of ATMs and closing branches or not, we are still moving rapidly towards a cashless society. And I was talking about how is it that you see ads now on your phone or your laptop for stuff that you have spoken about? Not that you've Googled it, but you've just spoken about it. It happened to me last week while talking about, um, I think it was zucchini fries. Um, And all of a sudden, and I was just chatting with somebody about a recipe for zucchini fries. And about two hours later, up comes a recipe on my feed for zucchini fries. The reason for that is some apps on your phone request you to turn your microphone on. And it's absolutely right. How many times have we tapped access location, apps access texts, access microphone? So we're turning it on for them, even for the likes of WhatsApp. That's Neil. That's the reason why stuff shows up right after you were talking about it because you're turning your microphone on. Uh, Don't kid yourself. COVID has been used as an excuse for going cashless. I was on a Ryanair flight flight recently. It was a cashless flight, yet they were very happy handing around their in-flight magazines using COVID as an excuse when it suits them. Yeah, cash is tedious and cumbersome for companies, you know? I mean, just think about it. Keeping it safe, storing it, banking it, you know, transporting it, tapping and debit cards, much more straightforward for them. What about elderly people who give young fellas their money to pop to the shop for them? If they hand over their card, they could well be taken advantage of. Or the elderly person, the granny or the granddad that gives the kids a couple of bob to go and buy an ice cream. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Last year, we paid €13,000 alone in interest on our mortgage from AIB. On top of this, we are charged for the direct debit every single month. Well, you're always going to be charged interest on a loan. That's what banks do. It's how they make money. It's a lot of money, though, in one year. 13000 interest on a mortgage. Try and get a tradesman to do a foxer after they get rid of cash. No way to pay them unless maybe we decide to use gold. Pay the tradespeople with gold. There are many businesses who all through the pandemic have only been accepting cash. No card transactions. This is nothing new. No, it's not, but it's becoming more and more evident. That's a load of bull about the bank closing in Mayfield because no people were going into it. It was always jammed. It's just us nodding all the time. Ah, that's okay, we say. That's okay. Do whatever you want. We won't mind. This cashless society was coming. Irish people should be out protesting and marching before it's too late. The pandemic, another government-controlled situation. People's rights were completely taken away. People were forced into vaccinations and inconclusive PCR tests. The Irish people are always slowly being controlled more and more by our corrupt politicians. Uh, This is happening worldwide. For instance, if you break a light in China, your credit rating is affected. We are all being watched. Surveillance cameras are getting so small, you'll not even see them anymore. We Irish citizens will have no more privacy. Every move you make is being monitored. Get up and speak out. 
protest people before it's too late. Okay, that's just a selection of many. Text 0868104106 on Ryanair. Same thing happened to our flight from Lanzarote on Saturday. My partner was pulled out of priority, the queue for priority, at the gate just to measure her bag. They said it wouldn't fit and they asked her for 70 euro. I went over. I fitted the bag into that gadget. I baited into the gadget. And when we refused to pay, they eventually let us on with the case. The case fitted perfectly overhead on board before you ask. Well, there's a lot to be said for standing your ground. And fair play to you for that. Why is it always happening on the return leg, though, when people are coming back from their holidays? Why is that? Think about that. William, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks for holding, William. Ryanair from Cork to Malaga. Yeah. Um, but lads, there, we, we head off every year around May for just a week's break and Cork to Malaga and stay in the Costa del Sol. <coughs> and... Um, just move around a bit there, William. Yeah, yeah, it was because it's breaking up. It was the first time because of COVID in a few years, was it? Correct. Yeah. And um, this year we arrived at the coffee airport and um, it just all had to close. Now, nah, breaking up, man. Try and move around again. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll come back to you in a few minutes time, we clean up the line, alright? Because it's not great and I do want to hear what you have to say on the matter. So come back after the break, see if it's any better. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Texter says, name and shame any business that does not accept cash. They should all be boycotted. Another person says, you'll often hear people use the term cash is king because it can't be hacked. Anything digital can be hacked. And for the elderly, it's a disaster as they don't all understand how to use online banking and services. Cash was always handy to use. The tapping of the bank card is a bad way forward for the future. Uh, No, the future is bleak. Don't succumb to any of the plans that will allow less cash in your pocket. It's a method of control. Machines won't work. We will starve or freeze if they go down, and they do. So thank you for all those texts. I'll dip in and out. William, is that any better? Yeah, uh, Kevin much, said it was quite better. Much better. Okay, so pick up on your story. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, basically, we arrived at the airport, and it just happened to coincide with Glasgow Rangers uh, were playing in Seville. They were playing in a final. Right. A lot of the Scottish lads travelled from, we say, uh, Glasgow to Cork, and then uh, on to Malaga. All right. Okay. Now, Why? We were not per- Why did they do that? Um, it was a cheaper way of travelling. Okay. You couldn't get flights direct from, okay. from Scotland right. or England even. But anyway, um, I happened to be, the, the, there was two of us travelled this year and my friend uh, travelled priority and I travelled non-priority. So I'm in the non-priority queue and I was talking to two of the Rangers lads, two young lads, and as we got to the guest, um, I could see that he had a little bag and it, it would have sufficed. And as he got his boarding uh, number, the girl called him back and she, excuse me, excuse me, that second bag, she says, I'm warning you now, the next time I'm going to have to charge for that. And I was looking for the second bag. It actually was his bum bag around his waist. Tied around his waist, that tiny little thing that hangs off your yes, waist. Yes, a tiny little bum bag that was around his waist. It's about five said, inches by three inches. Correct. I could not believe it. What? You know, 
Yeah, and uh, you just remarked on the, the kind of, um, I did the booking for the two of us, the priority and the non-priority. There was about 50 quid in the difference, uh, about 25 each way for the priority and the non-priority. The priority is a 10 kg bag and a second bag, uh, which you can put under the seat. I think that holds around 7 kg. Yeah, which is what and Luke then, would have had for his PlayStation or his, his iPad, yeah. I should say. They charged yeah. 45 euro for that. Terrible. It's a disgrace. And did Terrible. you want, did she say to your man with the bum bag how much she'd be charged for it? No. She just, he, see the thing is, she only noticed it as he just walked away. He was gone about four or five feet and she said, excuse me, excuse me. She actually ran after him. And she said, the next time, I, I have to warn you now, she said, the next time I will have to charge for that. Now she was on her own. I would have thought if there was a second person with her, she probably would have, you know, taken the time. But she was under pressure. Why, why bother even saying it? Like, it's, is, our, is our job worth that much to say something like that to someone? Well, as the chap said over, um, they're doing their job. And if they're going to do it to the T, that's what's happening. Yeah, but not right down to a bum bag. That's a new low now. Well, I can tell you now, if they put my gear bag, if, it wouldn't have sufficed. It wouldn't have fitted. And I went on non-priority. And the thing is... I went non-priority, my pal went priority, and yet I was sitting on the plane before him. Because when he entered from the front on priority, there were so many people trying to get organized. It seems that the younger people are traveling non-priority. They entered from the rear, and I was actually sat down in my seat, and he was still, he was still standing at the front of the plane, my friend. Yeah, that's, a, that's another issue then when you are priority and you can bring on a 10 kg bag and there's nowhere to put it overhead because they're all full by the time you get in the plane. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Did, did, did you ever use the... But, but you can buy duty-free and walk on the plane with that, can't you? You can. You can. But, but they'll charge you for an iPad 45 euro and maybe another 45 euro for a bum bag, but yet you can bring fags and whiskey and vodka and all sorts of stuff on board. There you go. There you go. No, the thing is, um, I have travelled with Aer Lingus and I also have travelled with Ryanair. Now, my friend uh, likes to travel with Aer Lingus. It just so happened this year that their flight times didn't um, didn't work out for us. So we travelled with Ryanair. How did the flight go with all the Celtic supporters, incidentally? No, they were Glasgow Rangers. Rangers, sorry. <laughs> Rangers supporters, how did that go? <laughs> I have to say they were lovely. I have to say that. So no, why wouldn't they be? Were they singing songs? Um, there was some sing-song in the toilet, I can tell you, at Cork Airport. <laughs> they were lovely, I have to say now. They were lovely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even even when we, we stay around the Fungarola area, and um, a lot of the a lot of the fans were down in that area, I, they were very, very drunk, some of them, but there was no trouble. I, I've seen no trouble, being honest. That's good to hear, because all too often we hear the negative stuff, so that's good to hear. Well there said. you go. Well there said. you go. Well listen, said. Listen, God bless me. All the best, William. Take care. Thanks for taking the call. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106, and we'll come back to these texts throughout the course of the morning. Now, story that we dealt with about a week ago. Actually, it was last Friday week. I was talking about Stepping Stones on air, uh, the preschool for children that was about to close. And one of the conversations I had was... Uh, with the owner of a preschool in Blackpool who was interested in taking over the management of it. Now, I know that it was destined to close because that's what the Board of Management have said. People are retiring from the Board of Management and one thing led to another and they were saying that it was going to close. They had hoped somebody else would take it over and that wouldn't work. But people weren't having that. And there was a meeting on Monday 
and many people uh, gathered at that meeting. And I think at that stage, Monday, it became a real possibility um, that, you know, somebody else might like to intervene. Uh, and because of that meeting then, those that control preschools in Cork have now said that they're willing to put it out to tender. I think Tommy Gould may have been there because it's in his parish. He joins me by phone. Thomas, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Was there many at that on Monday? Yes, Neil, there was a great turnout. And when you consider Monday was the hottest day of the year. Yeah. Uh, no, to be fair to the organisers, the parents and Julie and Sarah in particular, uh, like there was parents, grandparents, people who had their children in the, the preschool and um, people just from the community of family. Now, I know the preschool well because my own two kids, children, girls went there. And like I know how what a brilliant service it was, so we've been working behind the scenes, Neil. And sometimes uh, I didn't come on your show last week because I was trying to pull a lot of different groups and organisations together. No, it's really positive news that we have. Um, Cork City Childcare are going to put the service out for tender this week. So any groups, any organisations who are interested in taking it over can apply this week. It'll be open for one week, and then hopefully someone will be given uh, a contract to take it over. Uh, yeah, but why Why wasn't the question asked as to why that ha- didn't happen beforehand, before it was announced that it was closing? Can I say this now, Neil? Um, like, the board of directors who are volunteers, um, they just they weren't able to keep it going anymore. Now, if they'd come to me or Mick Newton or Kenneth Collins or people in the community, we would have organised it but they didn't and the one thing Neil there was a lot of criticism of them and I know people in the community were very angry but these are people who volunteered for years Okay well park the volunteers then why didn't Cork City Childcare decide before people got together and said this is not a good idea why didn't they decide before all of that to put it out to tender Well Neil this is very complicated when you bring board of directors involved and I had to myself and others had to bring a lot of people together in the last week trying to come up with a solution to this. And one person made a point to me that things need to go through the processes. And I said, what's more important now, a school open in in the end of August or being closed for the year. And to be fair to Cox City Childcare, Cox City Council and Tusla have all come together now to fast track this. Now we're not over the line yet, but it's really positive. And like I, I didn't go onto your show, particularly last week, Neil, because or even the week before, I was trying to pull everyone together because sometimes if you can get people to talk, we might get this over the line. And it's about I understand that and thank you for intervention. I thank you for your intervention. I just think sometimes that common sense and a bit of cop-on is lacking in things like this. You know? No, and you're 100% right, Neil. For this, like, Cushing Road Childcare closed down in Farnley in March. And then stepping stones was closing down. Like, family is such a great community. It couldn't lose two communities or two child preschools. Uh, uh, and the thing about it was, it shouldn't have to be up to me and other local reps to come in. But sometimes you have to. But the one thing about it, Neil, is when the family stood up and the parents went out to your show and they spoke to you and the pressure then that we would have to bring on the... I suppose, and the, the people that needed to be put under pressure to say it. Because I said, I cannot accept we have huge problems at the moment with childcare closing down in the north side, and we can't accept any more losses. Okay, so what, just, what does a tender mean? What it means, no, Neil, is it'll be advertised, 
anyone who's interested then will contact Cox City Childcare and say, I'm interested in putting my name forward for that or my company or my childcare. To run the entire facility? Yes. Okay. And they, and they of course, they, 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 they would be paid financially for that? Well, they would get whatever the correct whatever the is there at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Whatever and they get the paid by child as well, Neil. So, yeah. okay. And what we're hoping to do is there was twenty nine children uh, who had their names down that they will be, have cases on the twenty ninth of August. Okay, so, so hold on, hold on there a second. That's we're up to date now on what will happen, and there's a week for that to happen. Kate, Ga- Kate Gaffney was on the air with me at the time last Friday week. She's got a preschool oh, in Blackpool. Well. Yeah, she's got a preschool well. in Blackpool herself. She joins my phone. Kate, good morning. Morning. Thanks you have you have Muin. You have it. It's Muin. I'm pronouncing it right now. That's supposed to last. Yeah, 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 wrong. yeah. Will, Muin, will, yeah. will you go for it? Yeah, we'll apply, um, and hopefully we'll be successful. Yeah, we're planning to apply as well today. So fingers crossed. Okay. Would that um, mean that you'll be actually hiring staff then as well? I think the same staff again same staff. will be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly okay. Same, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I suppose we're delighted to hear it, and um, I echo what Tommy said there, like the. It's scary, um, the lack of childcare facilities on the north side, and then it's even scarier that they're coming under pressure to have to close. So hopefully, um, Ewan will have the same um, pressures put under. And we had a meeting on, thir- on Friday with Cork City Childcare, so it's looking positive as well um, for us that we'll be open as well in September. Okay, so you're putting in a tender application today? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Do you have to get particular forms to download or what's the process involved in that? Uh, so I think you contact Cork City Childcare today and then they'll go through uh, the application process of whoever is applying. But hopefully whoever gets it anyway, I think there's a few other services from the north side. So it would be great if um, one of those services, either us or them, got it because um, it would kind of marry in great if it was already somebody who had a Absolutely. It may well be you, it could be somebody else, but the great yeah. news is it's going to it's open brilliant. in August, uh, in the end of yeah. August, and people need not worry about that. And uh, Yeah, and a big applause to Julie and the Parents Committee there as well. People Power really worked. It was great to see them actually get a result as well. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, there's probably not enough places for all the children either, is there? Um, I think they had 29 enrolled. So I think they have capacity. So with TUSA, you can you have capacity per your ratio on your square footage. So I think they they actually have their full capacity at twenty nine. So um, yeah, that's why I have a text here now about somebody's son who's currently in stepping stones. He's three and a half, going into the bigger class in September. He's been in touch with uh, many different people, including Julie, uh, and indeed I think he might have been on to Tommy Gould. Uh, still haven't received any from the board of directors, says there are interested parties. Uh, the text says Sun Valley Montessori and and uh, is under is under threat. If one goes, they'll all go, and there'll be 120 kids without a place in preschool. This needs to be sorted ASAP because the waiting lists are huge. Do you have a waiting list at Muin? Yeah, we do. We have a waiting list as well. So, and um, some of our kids were originally from Stepping Stones, so hopefully they'll get their places back in Stepping Stones and we'll be able then to work through our waiting list. Um, but, like, three facilities, like, as Tommy said, Cushing Place closed and um, those other two services closed. We're all in close proximity to each other. So, um, that text is right. You'd have over 100 children without any ECC places for September. And, Tommy, this um, is a statutory right for all children, isn't it? It's passed by government. Yes, Neil, but the problem is, if you don't have the services, 
uh, parents will be forced to travel. And the whole thing here, and I know from my own children when they went there, like if you're working, you, like you're, you're, you need somewhere. Like back then, uh, stepping stones actually provided childcare after school as well. You yeah. know? So what Ideal. we're looking for here is all the services. Because a lot of people work, you know, and you, like if you're living in a family, you can't be traveling to Ballycollig or Bishopstone yeah. or Madden. You know, you need Or you won't get locally. places. Yeah, yeah but no how, then, how, then, can they like how then can they find 400 million for this and 700 million for Bus Connect, Tommy? What, it, it, it's fairly disjointed thinking on the things that really matter, isn't it? Well, the way, and like Kate would tell you there now, the way childcare providers are being treated is shocking, Neil. And yeah. they, they, there was a number of them up in Dublin there a few weeks ago, and we met with them outside the Doyle. And what they're actually saying is there could be 600 childcare providers gone by this time next year. Why? Because they're, they're not being supported by the department. What does that mean? Yeah. So what do you mean by supported? Like Neil and Kate would tell you, you know, the amount of the amount of administration mm-hmm. work they have to do, they're actually their funding was cut or reduced. Like they, they need additional funding. And the other big thing then is there's a huge problem with getting staff because the staff wages are so low because they're not being supported by the government. What we would do in Sinn Féin is we would bring childcare like preschool, like kids, like into the education system underneath. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you do all sorts of things, but you have a notion as to how you're going to pay for all the things you claim you're going to do. That's the but thing. Like Neil, on, sorry, if I could chime in there, just I don't know if people are aware of this. So ECC was originally brought in to give every child in Ireland an um, equal opportunity to have a preschool education. So um, it all sounds great on paper, but now um, we get €69 Euro per child per head per week. So on top of that, TUSLA will reduce your capitation if you don't have a level 8 degree um, teacher in your classroom. Right. So you have somebody going to college for four years to get a level 8 degree and then services because they have um, rates and rent and all the other overheads can only offer a certain amount to these people. So you're offering then a level 8 degree person maybe at most 15 euro an hour. Um, so the huge amount of people are leaving the leaving. sector yeah. because of that. Yeah. So I think um, like the 69 euro per week per child, it just doesn't cover. And it puts lots, if you're not a full-time crash, if you're a preschool like us or community preschool, a lot, lot of people are just running on the bare minimum, like just trying to cover their overheads and get through the summer. So you've all our childcare staff have to sign on for the summer because we only get paid for 38 weeks It's not taken year. seriously enough. It just isn't. You're underpaying no. staff and they're signing on for the summer. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's like a begging goal constantly. And it would happen constantly. in any other industry where you would have somebody who did, was in college for four years who's, who has a degree, who has an honours degree and they're asked to sign on for the summer. Did either of you hear that um, message that was posted this morning by a nurse who intervened and found her husband who's also a nurse attempting to take I his own did, life? Yeah. Did you hear that, Tommy? Yes, I did, Neil. And can I say, um, the sad thing about it, Neil, is we're dealing with more and more people coming to us who are um, who, who have real mental health issues, who are really under strain because of, like, they're walking, they're doing everything right, and they just can't seem to get ahead. They're actually just getting behind, and people are, people are at the wit's end. And sometimes, like, 
like we fight never do like we're always campaigning for people's rights but what we always tell people is if you're in trouble talk to someone there are good or- great organisations out there but no organisation is going to pay a mortgage or put food on the table or help them to put petrol in their car or pay their bills they may listen but they won't solve the real problem and that is two nurses fully qualified working in the Irish health system um, with a fairly reasonable mortgage 250 grand for two working people should not be a problem but yet they don't drink they don't smoke they've never had a holiday they've three children and they can't feed them yeah and Neil how can that be right That's, that is the question here now how can they be right and just to let you know Neil I'm in my office today and I was doing a clinic right I have 16 people booked in between 10 and 2 ok well I'm holding the them possible, up no no the first person who came in today is being evicted on the 20th of November she's working full time for 20 years she's went to college she has done everything right and she was in with me this morning, and she is the 39 person of family now. I have my books that are going to be evicted by Christmas. This is the stress and the pressure that the government is putting people under. And I don't think they, they, they realise how people are struggling, how people are suffering. And like, like, I'm just wondering, and I don't want to be all negative, no and gloom, but I was contacted last Friday about another charity facility closing down exactly describing what Kate said. The staff are leaving because they won't get paid for the summer. She won't be able to reopen in August because she won't have enough staff. And there's, she does not, she's looking for help. She's looking for staff. And the government could sort that if they paid the staff all year round and let them open up facilities then for the summer. Like Correct. That. I mean, it's not as if if they're being paid for the summer, they would work, wouldn't they? Yes, of course. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, listen, Kate, I'll let you get back to it this morning. Good luck on the tender application, all right? Tommy, I'll let you get back to your your constituents because that's very important. Cheers for now, take care. Just just one second, just to let people know, other parties might be in holidays for the summer, right? We're running our clinics, we're meeting people, we're having, like, we're we're going to bus connects this afternoon. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest in Bus Connect from the public. Not like the reaction I saw to AIB closing ATMs. Why, why are people disconnected with what Bus Connect intends to do? Well, Neil, there's some big, big meetings right across the city between Bishop's Town and... All right, and are, are people attending them and asking questions about who's coming after my front garden? Yes. And Neil, can I say this now? We support the extra bus lanes and cycle lanes and more walkways, Right. But and I spoke to Bus Connects direct, and I told them their plan. This plan was put out to tender during COVID, and I think it was an American company got it. And some people were probably in an office looking at this on Google Maps. Like they're talking about having no true traffic. And uh, are, are you saying that the maps for Bus Connect that'll go through the city and change everything so that we can have faster bus journeys was all planned and plotted by Americans? Well, that, that's who got the contract, and we are looking for the information out to find out. Have they ever been here? Like, do they ever walk the streets? Well, can I tell you, know, if they'd walk Sun Valley Drive or Blarney Street or Old Yard Road or what they're looking to do in Douglas or Bishopstown, it's unbelievable stuff. Like, you're talking about hundreds of gallons being removed, hundreds of thousands, of, uh, hundreds of trees, uh, parking spaces. Like, they should have come out, and what I actually asked them to do at the time was go out have local meetings with the local community because you ask taxi drivers now or bus drivers a lot of them would actually people who live and work in the area would, would give you some of the solutions so there's actually meetings taking place today and tomorrow in Silver Springs 
for the north side, for north east and north west. And I would encourage people to go out and go to the meetings. And if any group wants to meet with me or Nick Nugent or Kenneth Collins, we'll meet with groups in our olden ring in Bishopstown. We'll meet with groups. And then what we'll do is we'll go to the bus connect with people's uh, concerns and what they're worried about or their suggestions because we need to work on this. But like at this moment in time, this plan is just, it, it's a disaster. Yeah. And like you, you need to bring people with you. Yeah. And like we look at Harvey Road, there's been a huge campaign in Harvey Road. Um, you remember Kimberly, God rest her soul, she, she died, died up yeah, there. Yeah. The community are looking for traffic calming. I know they're looking to turn Harvey Road into a highway, Mary. It goes against all, everything the community are for. Are you, uh, are you a climate denier or do you think that we do have global warming and climate issues that we have to deal with? Because this is what this is what this is all about. You do, you, you yeah. believe that we have climate issues. that we have global warming. You see the weather at the moment now. If anyone, if anyone doubts about global warming, just look around the world what's happening. But what we are saying is we want to do this. But, like planet, but how do we know that we weren't having always having this kind of weather hundreds of years ago and that it comes in cycles and, you know, we just don't have the records going back far we enough? No, we do. Actually, Neil, if you look there, there was a last week in the Phoenix Park was the, hot, the high, hottest temperatures for over 100 years. Yeah. But, but that's bound to happen sometime, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, okay. Uh, we had a couple of hot days gone now. Just look out now, 18, maybe 19 degrees, cloudy and wet. Yeah, but can I say, Neil, I had family who were in there at a wedding in Spain last about two weeks ago. They said it was unbelievable. What's happening in Spain and Portugal and France, the temperatures have never been recorded. And these are places that always had sun and warm. Yeah, but if we're finding billions to pump into the likes of sorting out our carbon footprint and all sorts of stuff like that, this nurse says that we have absolutely no impact internationally on global warming when you look at South America, China and India. And we should be looking after people, helping them to pay bills and put roofs over their heads. That's that's the reality can I say this now? We, the government could help people, but they have decided not to hold the budget until the 27th of September. That's what we were calling for all along, and that's why we had a vote of no confidence in the government. Actually, that was because a stupid thing to do. You're never going to win that. Why did you do that? That was a real own goal. Neil, let's put it, I don't think it was, and let's put it this way. Last week when the AIB made the, made the call that they made, right, and the anger that was felt across the whole country, you had government TD saying it was wrong, and a week earlier they had voted for the government. The minister, like, these decisions can't be taken unless they're passed by the minister for finance and go through the department of finance. They knew four days earlier, right? They should have stopped this, and they didn't. Do you think and Michael McGrath knew oh, and did nothing about it? No, the, the department knew, from what I can gather, the department knew four days earlier, Pascal... Uh, Donahue. Uh, the, yes, Pascal who knew. Uh, his department knew, and they, they're saying they never brought it to him. Like, how is it possible that a bank looks to make a decision like that with profound consequences for people's lives and that the, the Department of Finance or the Department didn't allow them to do that? This should have never happened. But for that couple, the nurse that you're talking about, now we can't fix everything. And Neil, we're not saying we can, but we can make a difference to people. And a lot of people out there are just looking for a hand and they're also looking to know that the government understands how hell people are finding this. Okay, I'll let, you, all right, I'll let you get back to your constituency work. Thank you, Tommy. Tommy Gould, text 0868104106. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Ian. I'll get to you after the break. Hold on. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. 
text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Kira says, can you please let the older generation who listen to you know and make them aware that it is not an immediate cashless society that you're talking about and not to make any rushed decisions about their finances. My dad is 79 and is panicked after listening to your show, particularly on Friday. Yeah, it's not. It is very slowly but surely, but I am certainly not encouraging people to be hoarding cash at home. Not for a moment. Um, but Mike from Mala wonders, I failed to see back in the day of last week when you were talking about this, if any of the banks list- listed to go cashless were in Dublin. I didn't see any of them on the list. I can't remember, to be honest with you. I think there were uh, uh, certainly outside of Dublin, not on the were rural. Uh, on the topic of going cashless, I was in Reardon's the other night and I tried to pay with five euros notes. I was refused. They are now a cashless bar. They wouldn't accept my cash. I was shocked and appalled. Really? Is that is that true? That an entire bar would be cashless? Where you have only tap in the entire bar? Uh, be worth checking out with. I know unfortunately <laughs> Reardon's all too often uh, gets, um, you know, criticised and a lot of the texts are negative. I guess that's just because of the sheer scale of the place and the amount of people that they have to try um, you know, and and facilitate on a, on a nightly and a weekly basis. But uh, uh, be interested to just check that, see if there's no cash at all in Reardon's. Indeed, there's probably somebody listening who can tell me, text 0868104106. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Ian's on four. Ian, good morning. Hey, Neil, how are you doing? Here's a good example of what Kate was saying uh, with regards to trying to keep very highly qualified staff. Tell me your own story regarding your daughter. Yeah, my daughter went through UCC. She did four years. Um, now, to get into the course, initially, Neil is pretty strenuous. It's over 400 points to get into the course. She got in there. She worked in, the, in, in, in numerous crashes. The most she could get paid was about 11, 15 an hour. Now, this is after spending, what, the bones of 20 grand in UCC to get that qualification. And what was the qualification? She's uh, uh, early childhood studies. It's a level 8 degree. A degree. Level eight degree, yeah. Four years four paying years. fees comes out with a degree. Okay. Yeah, Eleven euro so an hour. Eleven fifteen or something was the best that she could get. No, that was and that was I think she was paid forty five cents more than someone with a level five degree. And don't get me wrong, a level a level five uh, cert is, is, is difficult to get to, but it takes about six months to get it. So the the benefit was forty five cents. So you divide that into the, the cost of the course over over four years with your 45 cents, you could be working for 100 years. Now, on that, I also think UCC has a lot to answer for on this because they're promoting this. And if you think about the correlation between UCC, the government, and the standards that are required, right? So it's a bit of a farce in the fact that we have all these government standards, we have all these customer regulations, we put them all into a course, we educate people to the highest level of level eight that we can get to that in this particular field. We then put them into the industry, and within a year, I think something like eighty odd percent of them are gone. Is it really that high more. within eighty yeah, within a year? Really high because you remember these are driven people. They've gone. They've, they've done well to get the points to get the course. So no, they you know they want everyone wants to move on. So it, you can't survive. You can't get a loan. You can't own a car. You can't move out of your house. It's crazy. And, and like all these standards are put in by the government and UCC, and then it's just the case of you, you're turned out the back door, out you go, uh, all 11 euro, what, sure, what can you do? Like that's 50 cent above minimum wage. 
but for for the the task that's been done. No, it's. I mean, it's it, shocking. I'm saying. I'm not saying. Oh yeah. No, I'm not saying you should be grateful. You got fifty fifty cent more than minimum. I'm not saying that. And, and that's where 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 they will pay that. A lot of them will pay minimum wage. And again, I can't say that it's the fault of the crashes because I the fees, the amount of regulation, the insurance policies, the amount of forms that have to be filled out if anything happens, any child at any point during the day, they got to be watched so diligently yeah. and minded. And everyone wants their kids in a crash to be to be uh, helped by the best people that can help them. The most educated people who've been trained to this level. Would she have in. ever known in advance of doing the course that the pay was that bad, getting a degree in early childcare? To be honest, she always wanted to do it, but no, she wouldn't. And it's probably something that people should look at who are doing this course in UCC because... It's like I said, it is more difficult to get into than most courses. And at the end of it all, unless you're going to own your crash and you can hear the debate you're having earlier with people who won't do own their own crash, that man, it's difficult to make a living in it, you know? And the government, and I know Sinn Fein are on there saying that they'll do this and they'll do that, but you know, where's the money coming from? Uh, look, for that? You know, politicians and political parties, just be very careful because they all say that kind of thing. The only thing that Sinn Féin have going for them now is they haven't had an opportunity to be proved wrong yet. But they'll all but, promise but, the you, earth. You see, someone needs to look at this because what's going to happen in, in years' time, there may be another big investigation as to how come kids didn't develop as well as they should have at the early parts of their years. Yeah. And it could be because the standard of care they're giving now is not by the most qualified people who should be, you know, and the most qualified people are leaving to go and work in different industries. And should it, could, would it be fair to ask, what did she leave to go to do? She, she's left initially to go and work in a restaurant, but she's having to study at night now to, to, to go for a new qualification in something else yeah. because yeah. this isn't going to work for her. And the funny thing is... And what would the restaurants for, for, be paying? Would they be, the, paying the, would they be paying uh, much above the 10.50? 15 euros an hour. So 15 right. euros an hour in a restaurant, 11 yeah. euros with an early childcare degree. Yeah, and I think for, with tips, I think for a 30 hour week, she's coming out with more than what she was for doing a 40 hour week under strenuous conditions, looking after six little toddlers from half seven in the morning, sometimes to six in the evening, because they didn't have enough staff. They were asking her to work extra hours. And of course, because she loves the job and loves the kids, she was doing that. But she's now coming out with more money for thirty hour a week than she was in that in, with, with zero. You know, I there certainly there's pressures in, in working in a well, on social hours and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, but nothing compared to, to to being responsible for little toddlers. There you go. Okay, all right. Listen, yeah. thanks for that, and good luck to her, whatever she decides to do. And uh, thanks for taking the call, Ian. Would you say? So would you say there are many people working on minimum wage now? Would I say that? Yeah. I, to be honest, I think that the, 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 wor- the, the world that we're living in, you know, the gap is starting to appear more and more. So we're seeing people who are earning very good salaries and we're seeing people on minimum wage. We've got job centres, you know, we've got a lot of these places that are coming in, they're setting up. And while the government are quite happy for them to set up because it takes people off the dole, what are you doing for their future? So you're now in a job centre where you're paid, you may be a bit more min- minimum wage, right? You have to pay your rent. How are, you, how, how are these kids going to save for a future? 
government's quite happy to leave Mork away in these because they're not on the dole. They're not costing them anything. I know, but you, you mentioned something there earlier on. You said that colleges have a lot to say, have a lot of responsibility in this. They've got all sorts of courses that people do, young people, who really haven't much of an idea as to what they want to do with their I, life anyway. I give, you, I give you an example, right? You know, I, I say I'm roughly the same age as you, right? I'm yeah. in my 50s as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Now, when I was in school and I went to Kilosh to Cree Street, we all knew in the class there was a few fellas going to UCC. We knew that there was a, we knew that there was a, a, a couple of them going to be builders. We yeah. knew few of them were going to leave a junior cert. There was going to be a few teachers. There was going to be a priest. There was going to be a plumber. Yeah. Fellas were going to work in the local factory. And there was nearly a place for everybody, right? Now, with society, the way it looks upon things, it's saying, right, everybody needs to go to third level education, no matter who you are. If you're going to there's no you think, do you think there's a bit of a racket going on there because a lot of the I time your degree is no good and you're off back then for a master's, you see? I'm, that's one aspect of it, right? But the other aspect of it is that the, 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 even apprenticeships are frowned upon. No, they're like, oh, Jesus, you say oh, Johnny's doing an electrical apprenticeship or, or plumbing. It's not, look, if, if your other fella is going to UCC doing pottery, it's regarded as a better option. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a status we, thing, lost, isn't it? There's a, still a status, lost, you know. We've lost a whole load of, of, of people who would have been good at certain jobs. You know, there was a career guidance fellow who told you this is what you should do. Now I see, I, I see posters around outside different schools. 90% of our graduates went on to third level. They wreck my and head. Like, you know, yeah. that's not they wreck my head when they put up the wrong. points. You know, they put up the points. That <laughs> just drives me insane. But there's too many going to third level, yeah. doing courses, that I, I, when they come out afterwards, that there is no real employment opportunity. And then you have to say, right, what do I do next? And it's not you know, cheap. And that's, a, yeah. that's outside of all the pressures of, of social media and all the other stuff that people are suffering from at the moment, that they, they're looking at everybody else's life saying, oh my God, they have too much, how, how am I so bad? Well, you're not so bad, you just... Maybe but I'll tell you one thing, if you, wanna ha- if you wanna have a lot of holidays and a beautiful car and uh, you know, a really lovely home and plenty of dots in your pocket, then you should get yourself a trade. You have to work. No, you have to work, yeah. But, but you have to work with kids think no that No, but become an electrician, day. become a, a plumber, become a carpenter, become a joiner. That, you know, that's where the that's where the real money but is. But you look at the, you look at that that sort of industry, like Salmon Street School and these places that had apprenticeships long ago and taught you to be, I wonder how many schools in Cork are still doing woodwork and metal work, yeah, I don't I know. know. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah. Great, points. And Great points. Great when, points. When kids had an, a, an aptitude for that, they loved it. But no, the pressure is, you know, don't do that. You want to be, a, no, no, no. You're, you're better than that. And yeah. That's not, that's, That's a super point, actually. Do you mind if I just chat with Louise on that point you just made? Because she wants to pick up on that. But thanks so much, Ian, and good luck to your daughter. What Words Hello. of wisdom for you this morning, from you this morning. Thank you for that. Louise? Yes? Isn't that amazing? Because you can very easily segue into what he was saying there, can't you? Oh, absolutely, yes. The The thing is that I, this is just a thing that just happened. I, I come to the beach every day in the morning, just to the walk, and... There's these men, there's one, two, three, four, five, there's six of them in their vests, and they're building a new, um, a new little playground. Right. The playground must have been there for 15 years or more, I'm not sure. 
and they tore it down and they're building this beautiful, it's even nicer than it was before. And they're working really hard. And I, I was getting a kick out of watching how it all happens, putting down the, how they make the tar and put it all down. And there was a, I don't want to say lady or man, it was a parent and they had two children, a little boy, a, a boy and a girl. Why don't you want to say them. whether it was a mother or a father? Because it, it, that's not right. Because okay. I don't want people to make a comment that, oh, see how women are or see oh, how or men see how are. Men. Okay, fair okay. enough. Okay. But they, I'm watching this, and the parent said to the, the actually the son, um, you see those men there, and the, kid, the kids had this really wonderful look on their face, like they were excited. And the parent said to the child, um, you see those men working, doing that, you see how they're dressed. And because they're kind of like, you know, grubby, like from all the work they're doing. And the parents said, you don't go to college. That's how you're going to wind up. And I looked at the parent and I didn't say anything, but I had this look on my face. Like I wanted them to know that wasn't right. But and then then you had to see the children's face. The children's face went from this excitement and awe of what was happening. And they looked down at the ground and then they walked away like like taking something away from a child that they were happy about. But then there's this old man in Yale who every day I would see him walking all day long, picking up the garbage, right? Yeah. And people throw garbage on the ground. They don't seem to care. And, I'm, and I've heard comments made about this man, like, look how filthy he is. Or look, what, you know, just negative comments. Look how stupid he is to be picking up people's yeah, litter, is now, it? How, how would you, how people, they don't, they judge too quickly. What, why don't they think to themselves how filthy everything would be if that man wasn't picking up their crap? If people didn't think we wouldn't have this beautiful playground if those workers weren't there building that. Instead, you get so many people saying, now nothing against college. I mean, I went. That says nothing against that. But if we didn't have all these other people that are doing this work that other people are judging 100% as, 100% agree with you. Yeah. How, you know, how does that parent? How does that parent think a playground is going to be built without people who have the trades and the skills to do it? The shopping right. center she goes to, the car that he or she might sit into, the house that they live in. That's right. The light I mean, switch when they switch it on. That's right. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't matter what profession, cleaning streets, a maids that clean the hotels. Now, if you're not happy, I don't care if you're a doctor or, or, or um, you know, somebody cleaning the street. If you're not happy doing what you do, then find your happiness. Find something that's going to make you happy. But you people shouldn't be putting people down for doing these jobs because... Honestly, that's the problem with the world. People are judging other people and then they, their children grow up and they might be unhappy because Correct. now they're forced into that's professions right. and you know something, that they don't want. Yeah, absolutely. And equally, that parent could have said, if the children are absolutely mesmerized at a playground being built, that parent could have said, you want to do something like that in life? Then you can get yourself a college degree in construction or engineering that's or right. architecture or you can get a trade make big money. That's what they should be saying. Absolutely. If they were that up on the, on the college thing, then okay, say, 
you know, like landscaping. Okay, go go to college to learn landscaping instead of just gardening. But it doesn't, I'm not saying that college doesn't matter. Some people, like if you look at Elon Musk and you look at other people that went to college for a year or maybe, you know, a year and a half or two years or they didn't go, yeah. they still they still contributed wonderful things to life. So you don't you you don't have to go to college or you can. But what I'm trying to say is people need to stop judging people. Yeah, they well need said. to stop me. I mean, the faces on those two little kids. It was so sad. They put their head down as they walked away. And it was almost like you took something That's away it. from the child that yeah. they loved. Yeah. It was yeah. sad. And yeah. these guys, I'm still here sitting here watching these guys. I'm amazed at at like I'm learning stuff like I'm amazed at like how they have to pour this stuff into there to melt Why didn't you just go up and tell them they're, they're doing great work? I'm going to go buy them all coffee, actually. That's even better. So buy them coffee, coffee and then truck. tell them they're doing great work. Yeah, well done. Yeah, there's a coffee truck here, so I'm going to get them each a coffee. But I just you. want people to stop judging people and think about those people like that old okay. man in Yule that yeah. picks up the garbage. I mean, it. Jesus. But thank you so much for... Maybe letting people know that they should think about no, this No, no, you're absolutely 100% right in what you say and I'd love for other people to share their own thoughts on what you've just said to me. Thanks, Louise. I'll let you go and get the, what did you say, the, co- the coffee. Go and get the coffee. <laughs> I'm from Coney Island. I love so, how you say yeah. coffee. Coffee, yeah, that's, people know I'm not from here when I say coffee or daughter. <laughs> my daughter. Get my daughter a coffee, Louise. I know, I know. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. You too. Take Bye. Care. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show Okay, we'll come back to all of the business uh, between now and midday but Friday's programme was amazing we had some incredible stories last Friday I spoke to Patrick uh, who's a a baby that was born in Besborough and went through years of searching for his mother uh, Bridie Uh, Besborough always said that they knew nothing about it he then started hounding Tusla and finally they called him in to say that she was dead uh, when he pressed them, the girl accidentally gave him her name, Bridie Stapleton. And from there, he was able to go through uh, paper records in London and around the world for two years. And eventually, he saw the death notice for Bridie in Boston, uh, contacted the family, but they didn't want to know. Um, that was just one particular story. There was two or three other stories on the air. Uh, one amazingly strong story, a lad whose uh, mother um, walked out the door when he was three years old. Um, and he has been st- he has now taken up the search um, Matt Mark searching uh, for his mother who is somewhere in uh, the UK and uh, I remember that story I, rem- I remember covering it back in around about 1995-1996 then there was the story of, of Finbar who was working in Canada and has been since 1988 um, and then uh, a young girl comes and, and finds him and says you're my dad and he had absolutely no knowledge whatsoever was he delighted? Absolutely he was. But those incredible stories. Um, and you remember when I was chatting with uh, about those stories and talking with people on air, but I mentioned a book that I read last week called Besborough. Three Women, Three Decades, Three Stories of Courage. Well, I read it last week. Um, it's an incredible book written by Deirdre Finnerty. She, she spoke and sat down and traced the life history of three women from three different decades. One woman from the 60s, one woman from the 70s, and one from the 80s, and tells their stories in the book and she joins me by phone Deirdre good morning 
Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm great. Uh, incredible book. Um, and, and one of the things, of course, that all three have very much in common is parents who couldn't handle the shame. Isn't it true? Yeah, that came out very strongly in the three stories that um, I included in the book. Now, I will say that, you know, other people I spoke to didn't necessarily have the same reaction from parents and didn't necessarily tell their parents. But certainly the three women in the book, their parents reacted in ways that they could never have imagined. That's right. Joan, Terry and Deirdre. and Deirdre, absolutely. And then certainly in the cases of Terry and Deirdre, um, you know, in, in later years, their relationships with their, their parents didn't really recover. Um, so that kind of affected their family lives for years to come after that. Um, but I was really encouraged to hear um, Friday's, the, the discussion about Friday's programme mm. and more people coming on to talk about their experiences. Um, because I think we have seen in the past few years more and more people coming out. But I think the more we hear about it and what people do speak out, the more it encourages and others too. And I think, um, you know, after I, I, I read the book, I had lots of people getting in touch with me about their own experiences and I was very encouraged by that as well. Yeah, Patrick was searching for his mother, Bridie, who at the same time when he was looking for information on her here in Cork, would you believe it, his mother, Bridie, had come over from Boston and was in Cork at the very same time also looking for him. But yet nobody would connect the dots, neither Tusla, nor the adoption agency, nor anyone, nor Besbra. And I don't know who knew and who didn't know, but Bridie was in the mm. same city looking for her son as he was in Cork looking for her. It was so, so tragic. And she died and they never connected. That is so, so tragic. Yeah. And, you know, it must have been so frustrating for Patrick to know that. It must have given him a real gunk to know that actually, you know, things could have been a lot different. And he's certainly not the, the only story of, you know, people have been frustrated in their searches and, you know, years and years um, trying to get information. That certainly comes through in my book as well. The, the absolute frustration and unnecessary delays and, and how that impacted the women and their lives it really came through very strongly. Yeah, and I mentioned at the offset of the conversation the role of parents back then. Like in the case of Joan, we are talking about the 1960s, but would it ever be acceptable for a mother to say to her daughter, forgive me for saying this now, but she said, we've never had a bastard in the family ever and we're not about to start now. Uh, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? But those were the times. Those were the times. And I think if you also would look through the commission's report, you'll see that language like that was kind of routinely used and people I spoke to had heard that language um, used to refer to them and to their children. Thankfully, times have changed yeah, now. but. Yeah. You, know, you only have to go back a few decades to realise you know, how harsh things were and that they were a lot different. Yeah, but in Terry's case, and this is the 70s, she was told by a nun, God forgive you for your filthy sins. She was. She was, and that was, you know, that came through very clearly in her in her interview, and she remembers it to this day. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I... I I remember doing that interview with Terry and just being so shocked after she described that to me. She was looking for medical help and instead of the medical help that she was looking for, she, she received that comment. And uh, yeah, certainly Terry would say that that's, she wouldn't have been the only person to have come up against a response like that. A lot, a lot went to London, didn't they, in the case of Joan and indeed Terry. Terry went to London pregnant, I believe, um, mm-hmm. but, but only, yeah. only to look for help and to be brought back to Cork by a priest. Who travelled on the flight with her? So this was because of a repatriation scheme that 
Um, it's quite li- it's sort of a little known scheme that was sort of operating between Catholic agencies in the UK and Catholic agencies in Ireland, where if Irish women who went over pregnant, or girls as well also, went to these agencies, there was sort of a system in place to send them back to mother and baby institutions in Ireland. And that's what happened to Terry. You know, it was operating um, you know, from the early decades right up until the early to mid-70s. Terry thinks she might have been one of the last women to to have been repatriated in this way. But actually, my first encounter with anybody who had been in Vespera was a woman who still lived in London and she had been repatriated in the 1960s. And I remember her telling me how it happened, you know, how she was, how she was told that she had no other choice. She had to go back to Ireland. She was, you know, a woman with a black armband uh, waited for her on the ferry. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this, this whole shadowy secretive system yes. operated. Yes. And I knew nothing about it. Um, and it's only in the past few years that these stories of the repatriation scheme are kind of really coming to the fore and thanks to the work of great historians as well who've been documenting it. I, I felt so sorry and so sad for her actually because she she also was very badly treated even on the flight. It was obviously apparent to the staff on the flight who she was, where she was coming from and maybe even that she was going to Besborough, yeah? And that's where, that's where she went and I think she had baby Niall, didn't she? Uh, she did, but yeah. she was in Vesper for a while, and then she managed to get in contact with her boyfriend, and she left Vesper, but she didn't manage to leave for very long, because through an intervention of, of um, relatives, she ended up in St. Patrick's on the Navin Road, where she then had her baby Niall. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, her plan was to stay in England and have the baby there, but other forces intervened, and, and that was not something that she was eventually able to do. Um so yes, Terry to this day has not been able to get in, 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 not been able to reunite with her son, and it's something that she says that she still that leaves it with a lifelong grief. She calls it a living bereavement. Yeah, yeah, because she signed in the case of Terry, she signed absolutely nothing, but did go to the Cork City offices. It's described in the book as the offices were down a narrow street in Cork City. She was met by a sister. She was naively looking. To collect her baby, wasn't it? She believed at that time that that she could just go and, and pick him up, um, but unfortunately, that that's not how it unfolded. No, it's far from it. Actually, if people read the book, they'll see. If you, the response to her was, "If you continue with this, uh, I'll be making an awful lot of phone calls. Firstly, I'll ring the papers, and you'll be all over the papers tonight for trying to take the child away from a decent family." Then I'll ring our solicitor and tell him what's going on. So you better have plenty money because it's very expensive to go to the high court. Sure, a poor young girl like that will be frightened to death of the response like that. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember Terry at that time was 18 at most, 19. Um, you know, had, hadn't really had that much life experience. Um, was from, um, you know, had a, had a job in a supermarket, um, had been through this experience of being repatriated from London to Ireland so she must have been frightened you know she must you know she must have felt completely powerless at this at this point um absolutely and, and it's even, something that she yeah. she I mean her memories of it are very vivid they come across in, in the book um but I mean to this day it's it's you know she just felt that there was nothing she could do and even in the 80s um your Deirdre's story where she was training to be a teacher, wasn't it? And 
And again, this is a response from a parent. So her mother says, um, not a good fit for a school teacher. No school would hire an unmarried mother. In the 1980s, that, that's what was being said. That's what was being said, but, you know, it wasn't being said without uh, good reason because, you know, we know that times were very different then and certain expectations were were placed on the shoulders of teachers and there was even, you know... A, You're actually a, a right. High profile, You're actually yeah, right. Very little would have changed, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah a high-profile case... Um, of somebody in the 1980s who did lose their job in a secondary school because they were, um, you know, li- living with a with a man who had been married. So you know, it, it was, it, you know, things on the surface had changed in some ways, but in other ways hadn't changed at all. And I think in the case of Deirdre, you could see the how things in Bethpera had changed, but ultimately the outcome was the same that she still lost her child. Were they still changing girls' names in the 80s and referring to them by number? Um, what Deirdre describes is that it was suggested to her that she could use a different name. Um, and she did. She used uh, the name Kira, and that the other girls in there at the time also used different names. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure about the number in the 80s, but certainly Deirdre was encouraged to use a different name at that time. Of course, you are right about the 80s because in 1984, you had the tragic death of uh, Anne Lovett, 15-year-old at the Grotto in Granard, yeah? I mean, that was was because she had no one to turn to as a 15-year-old pregnant. Absolutely, absolutely. And and chatting with the, at length with the three women, you, you make a point that it was like as if they had two different lives, that they lived two different periods of their life, um the experience and trying to get on with the rest of their life after the experience. Is, isn't that right? Um, because unfortunately um, there was a lot of trauma afterwards. There were broken marriages. There was an inability to trust or to love, right? Um, what I'd say is yeah, I mean, the people who were most um, I suppose the clearest example would be maybe Terry, who says, you know, she didn't, she said, I lost Terry in best breath, how mm. she described it. Mm. So I thought that was really telling that she, she kind of, she, she says that she, she can, she can grieve, but she won't heal because she has this living bereavement. Um, and Deirdre as well was really, really open in kind of how it impacted her subsequent relationship. She's very open about that in the book. Um, and she wonders, you know, what her life might have been like if, if things had been different, you know, whether she would have had two broken marriages. So that came across very That's right. clearly yeah. there as well. Um, but I suppose any traumatic event, if you look at the long-term impact on someone's lives, it will, it will impact on them and it will kind of come out in, in different ways. But I think what also comes across in the book is just how resilient and strong and courageous uh, the three women were. I think, you know, anybody reading the book will see, you know, that despite what they went through, they led very successful lives. Um, you know, went on to have other children, mm. had careers, um, very eloquent and articulate women. And I think they've just done, done a, such a wonderful service by speaking to me for the book and leaving that record of their experience. And I'd encourage people to read all three stories in the book. What did they make of the commission report, though? 
which which struck me as, to be quite honest with you, a bit of a whitewash, I have to say. Yes, I mean, a lot of survivors that I've spoken to, the, the three women in the book, but also others, were very disappointed with how that was dealt with, particularly the conclusion that was there was little evidence of, of forced adoption and that, that was something that really went down very badly. But also the fact that the Commission used a small number of testimonies on which to base its findings. That's all, yeah. So yeah. there was an investigative committee, I'm sure you this has probably come up in your programme before, and also a confidential committee. And a lot of people who went to the confidential committee didn't necessarily know that their evidence wouldn't have been used in the same way of going to the investigative ah, yeah, committee. But even those that were public, though, judge. some of them only got a couple of paragraphs and they actually had an awful lot more yeah. to say besides a couple of paragraphs. You know that more absolutely. than I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, there was huge upset um, and there still is now. But and, and we're, we're sort of a year down the line from that and um, I think a lot of survivors are looking, on, looking kind of to, to the next stage, but certainly there was definitely huge upset and disappointment with that um, one of the survivors in my book described it as a slap on the face like over, over nearly a thousand children died in Besbra. 31 women died in, in Besbra, and yet with nearly a thousand deaths of children there are no burial records for 859 babies and 19 women as an author what do you make of those kind of statistics well those kind of statistics are are deeply shocking and distressing. Um, you don't need to be an author to, to think that. I'm sure anybody reading those statistics would be horrified. But I, I'm sure it's come up on your programme again about, I'm, I'm sure it's come up a lot over the past couple of years about people really wanting to kind of find out where their relatives are buried and to be able to remember and commemorate them. Um, so, yes, I mean, it's an issue that's still coming up in Cork and will continue to come up um, in the years to come and I'm sure it's been the subject of many many a debate on your programme. It has, particularly with regards to the size of the land down there. I know that much of it's been sold off. I think uh, there's planning up, you know, all sorts of you know, planning applications for apartments and houses I believe, but there is a particular site on an old map, isn't there, called um, Children's Burial Ground isn't it? And, and everybody's wondering is that the area that needs to be looked at closer? Yes, and I know there's a, a couple of groups with kind of um, different views on on whether it is, but in terms of kind of my own research, I didn't focus particularly on that map and more mm. kind of the experiences of the women. The women, oh, I know, but, I know, I know, yeah, I know. I'm sure I know but, that, I, but when you mentioned yeah. there, there, there are still unanswered questions and this story has still some distance to travel. I think that's what you mean, isn't it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, some distance to travel. I mean, there are people who, I mean, that woman I met in London who is a wonderful woman, but she still has uncertainty over where, where her child who was born in the 60s is buried. Another person has got in touch with me um, about her mother who lives in London who has the same issue. And, you know, these people are still alive, still wondering where their babies are buried. And, you know, that, you know, they may not find the answers that they they so desperately seek and I think that's a real tragedy but they have helped to shape society haven't they all women who came forward and told their stories and went public and were heard has helped to change the way we view society now thank God absolutely and I just want to commend everybody who spoke to me for the book because they've done us a huge service they were hugely uh, hugely courageous 
and that strength that they have is something that I will never forget. It's well been a wonderful privilege to work with the women that I worked with. Well said. Deirdre, thanks so much for taking the call. The book is called Besbra, Three Women, Three Decades, Three Stories of Courage, and it's well worth a read. Thank you so much. Look after yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks very much, Neil. Thank you. Deirdre Finnerty, multimedia journalist with uh, the BBC. Besbra, three women, three decades, three stories of courage. Not just the stories of the women, but the times in which they lived. It gave me a great insight and a reminder of what it was like to be in 1960s Ireland, 1970s Ireland and 1980s Ireland. And also how little it changed in between those three different decades. It's a well worth a read, Deirdre Finnerty's Besbra, three women, three decades, Three stories of courage. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Indeed. Went to Lanzarote on the 16th with Ryanair. I brought a carry-on bag for my child that fitted perfectly underneath the seat. However, coming home, I was told under no circumstances would the bag fit under the seat. There's something happening with the return legs. People are coming back from the holidays. Under no circumstances would the bag fit under the seat, I was told. I was told to leave it behind to leave it behind you or pay forty five ninety nine. I was told that the gate was about to close so I needed to hurry up and pay the queue to pay for bags was actually longer than the boarding queue I also can't come on air to talk as my voice is completely gone you may ask why both myself and my mother tested positive for COVID after the flight no one including staff were wearing masks just us um well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, that's a whole day's program in itself. But isn't it amazing that uh, you really kind of have to pay, don't you? Because otherwise you can't get back to your native country. It's different going out. You're at home. You might be able to kick up a bit more of an argy-bargy. But when you're overseas, maybe it's a softer target for people on the return leg from the holidays to be caught for 45 euro here and 45 euro there. Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Still to come, we have 350 euro hampers to give away, courtesy of Douglas Food Court, a Douglas Court Shopping Centre, Garden Goodness, Hassett's Bakery, the Good Fish Company, and the Butcher's Block. And I'll go through exactly what's in those hampers this side of, of midday. And also some more opportunities to win for yourself some of our wonderful tourist attraction family passes that we've been giving away for the past couple of weeks. But, and also want to update on our missing dog from last Friday. What kind of a dog was that again? It was a pug, the little pug Katie. I was getting sightings even as we were coming off the air at midday. The dog travelled from the north side to the south side, I can tell you. It was all over the city. But we have a good update on that. At least the story came to a happy conclusion. But just ahead of all of that, Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Are you calling me from down west along, is it? I am indeed from uh, Bluffstreet, Baltimore. Okay. Yeah, down the west right. part. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are, they, are they all down there from the South Mall? All the, oh, I suppose all the <laughs> legal profession are down in Baltimore now for the summer. They're down at the bottom of the hill. I'm up at the top of the hill at Ralph's. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Um, yeah. So uh, I suppose uh, it was Pride weekend. Um, and as you can Imagine uh, there was Pride bus going from Cork and it stopped at all the towns on the way down. No, I didn't know that. What's the Pride bus? Yeah, about? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was just to, um, to I suppose, to um, incorporate the towns around Cork for Cork Pride and stuff. Um, and uh, the call was put out by the community council down here and the Happy in Baltimore group and stuff like that to, you know, make a bit of an effort. So they were due here at half one. Now, the weather was like, a, let's just say it was not uh, conducive to even driving. So they arrived, uh, half one was about quarter to three when they arrived here. 
Now at that stage, so this would be a bus side. full of members of the Cork gay community traveling west yeah. on a bus. Am I, yeah, did, was that, was that yeah, sum it up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. The, they had drag queens on top, and they had a couple of support vehicles with them as well. Um, and they, that was great. Um, so they finally got here. Uh, we were all soaked: children, parents, couples, um, and uh, they disembarked from the bus and walked straight up the hill and went into a pub for lunch. <laughs> so none of the children got to meet the, the amazing drag queens and their wigs and everything else. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Should they have got the soaked if they stood around in the rain, wouldn't they? Well, do you know what? Five minutes. Like, they were on the back of the bus the whole way from Cork. And uh, like, If you'd have seen the children here in Baltimore and the adults and everything else, they were deflated. They were just like... Now, in fairness, there was one person um, in a tu- white tux, uh, a uh, drag king, and the police officer and the photographer, they came over. Everybody else went to the pub for lunch. <laughs> they headed you straight know? to the I pub. I just think... It, yeah, well, you know what? It, 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 but was it, it really lashing was, rain, was it? Wet well, and it, windy. Had, it had calmed down a bit at this stage <laughs> for them. But, uh, like, we were already soaked. You might as well have hung... <laughs> Maybe you're a hardier bunch down west along, you know? Oh, we, we, we survived many things. But, uh, you know what? It was kind of pride went out the window when that happened, you know? Um, it was very disappointing. It was very disappointing for the children and families that actually came out. Now, there was only about 30, 35 of us there. But, look, you know... We did you, tra- the did you follow them in? When did you go in after them? No. Well, it's a, yeah, but yeah, I can't do that either, like, you know, but it would have been nice if they said, look, we're, we're running late and we can go and have something to eat and we'll be back out here. Uh, but nothing like nothing. that Off happened. they went, high heels up the hill into the pub. <laughs> and you were, you know? were you, they were late as well, so you were waiting around in the rain for a couple of hours. We eh? were waiting around for nearly two hours, so we were drenched, we were hiding in boots of cars and everything else, but <laughs> look, as you said, we're a hearty bunch down here, <laughs> takes a lot to rock us. But you know, maybe if they do it next time, take a bit of time for the kids and the people that are actually waving you know, the flag, so, Yeah, you I know? understand that. If people are you there know, and they've it, turned out and was, they've made an effort. Yeah, yeah I know. I yeah, know, yeah, I know. yeah. It was a bit sad, you know. Um, so hopefully they take it on board for next year, you know. A very interesting point here because um, I also received a, a text message. Um, it's not that I want to be down on any of this in any way, shape or form, but somebody critical of um, LGBT colour crossing, road crossings, are you aware of that? They're up in the city, aren't they? They are, yeah. Great. They're up in the Our smoke. Are great. Do people yeah, yeah, really... Yeah. Is what a text says to me. Do people really have to explain to the young kids about these crossings? I would like my three-year-old to grow up without having to explain all of this LGBT stuff. When he's at an age for himself to understand, then it can be his choice. This stuff is really starting to get out of control. Who do you think you are at the end of the day? There's no need for these road crossings. What do you make of that? I'd be very concerned if uh, if we were all to be like that, you know. At the end of the day, children are brought up in a multicultural environment. Families come in all shapes and sizes. There doesn't need to be explanations, but it needs to be um, supported, you know. Um, I, I would prefer if a three-year-old was growing up in a world that we live in now and they asked a question yeah. that parents would, would answer them properly and honestly. Absolutely, absolutely, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's, one way of shaping the world, isn't it? Without a doubt. Nice to chat to you. Regards to you all down west. Hope it's going well for you down Thanks Baltimore.
Take care. Cheers. All the best. Text 0868104106. So Friday, right? We were chatting um, with... Uh, who was it talking to? Who have I got? Jerry. Hello, Neil. Are you, are you Anne's brother-in-law? I am, yes. And it was Anne was on the air with me because they were minding... Anne and her husband were minding their son's pug, Katie. That's it. And Katie, Katie got off the harness when Anne's husband, Billy, was taking Katie for a walk. That's how it started, Neil. And she was so upset because it's a son's dog. He's on holidays and they were minding him. Now, yeah. we got lots of different sightings. Anyway, you were involved in the search, were you? I was, Neil. I was. I went to Musgrave Park. I got a call from yourselves to yeah. say that the dog was seen by Musgrave Park. I went to Musgrave Park and there was workers outside. Um, they hadn't seen the dog. There was other um, relations of mine went to the Tremor side of Musgrave Park. No sign, no sound of it. He's outside Murphy's by. Chipper at one stage. He was also he down was. around uh, the Mercy Hospital. So he's doing some serious walking, Katie. Or she, I should say. Yeah, she was. She was done by Murphy's Brody. <laughs> she made her way over to Musgrave Park and eventually she was found in the Mardike across the road from St. Joseph's School. She managed to get into a kind of, um, it's like a small builder's yard. And there was a girl there. Um, the girl's name was Issa. She kind of held on to her, and someone of all of her nephews and nieces, Nicola, I think, was after ringing. Cork City dogs lost and found. Yeah. And the girls see that, and she rang the number, and then they rang Billy, and Billy went and got um, Katie. She did, did took her to a value vets in Blackpool, but because the dog was after getting a tip. They said it might be better to bring him to the Sunbeam vets and Michael Brennan, the vet out there. Um, was she all right, up. Katie, though, in the she vet? Was, because Anne told me that she did get a bit of a tip from a car. Yeah. So when when the dog was taken to, to, to value vets, they sent uh, Billy to take her to the Sunbeam vets who would have more better stuff for mm. checking the dog. Mm. The vet there was Michael Brennan. He looked after the dog. He checked it over. He gave him an injection. And he gave up painkillers for two days. And she went back to his house. She's not left out. She <laughs> opened the back. And she's flying. She's running up and the stairs, Neil. So at so one stage then, she, she was eventually found at St. Joseph's in the Mardike. But previous to that, that had gone as far south as Musgrave Park. Musgrave, Musgrave she went, she, first, she was seen down by Murphy's yeah. in Blackpool. Yeah. Then Murphy's Brewery, down in Lady's Well. Then Musgrave Park. And eventually ended up across the road from St. Joseph's School in the Maldike. And the girl there, Aoife, is the girl's name. All locations she, start with an M, with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> with Katie the Pug. And, yeah. and come here, is it, true, is, is it true that Anne's son still doesn't know the dog was missing? He don't. He, they, they put it up on Facebook, Neil, but they banned him and his wife. So from looking at it, like, you know, they can block him, I think. So will he? Will they ever tell him about the escapades of Katie on Friday morning? <laughs> they will. She was abs- She was so upset. I know she's not in a position to talk to me this morning, but she really she did feel responsible. Hysterical, Neil. She was hysterical. That's the world I use. That dog Neil came with four a uh, four pages of instructions, <laughs> nine toys, nine nine toys. Steak, oh my God. chicken and rashers for it to be fed on. Really? And nuts then as well. Like. You're not supposed <laughs> to give dog nuts, are you? Yeah, uh, this would be the, you know, the kind of like... Um, dog um, nuts. 
complete food nuts, like, you know. Steak, chicken. Chicken and rashos. And, and rashers. Rashers are very bad for dogs. I, I would think they wouldn't be great for the cholesterol or the fat content anyway. Uh, salt. Salt? And, yeah. <laughs> but the dog was lashing into the rashers. <laughs> right after and, uh, anyway. and pages of instructions. One of them would be, four, eight, don't four get her pages. lost. <laughs> that should have been the first one, it, but it wasn't. <laughs> People and their pets. So, Did you see that story in the paper? Because I know you were out with me before with your bull terrier, Elsa. Remember a few years ago? That's, that's it. I still have that photograph on me phone, Hill Neil. How is Elsa? She's flying. She's flying. She's here by me, next to me now. For a bull terrier, she was the most placid, lovable dog I ever sat across from. And that's from somebody who's afraid of dogs. She was beautiful. Well, she's the very same today, Neil. The, the, the majority of them are. It's, it's the owners. I know. Yeah, I know. But you see that story this morning where Dogs Trust in the UK are asking employers to give compassionate re- leave to employees when their pet dies. <laughs> because losing a pet is like losing a family member. It is, Neil. And I know that you have a dog yourself and I know yeah. um, that you would be loving. Well, when Jesse died, it really, when our dog Jesse, uh, who was nearly 17 years old, that's quite old for King Charles, when she died... It was like... A death in the family? It was like a stab in the heart. It was terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, you'd walk it's in you'd walk in for weeks afterwards and she's not there and you think, oh my God, I'll never get over this. No. There's only one cure for it. Let's get another one. That's all we did. Yeah. but it, so, do, so we shouldn't really laugh and scoff at this idea, should we? Give people no. compassionate leave when their dog dies. What do you think? No. I, I, I think maybe, you know, a day off anyway, or a couple of hours anyway, would, you know, can... Can you want to down some Because it can be very distressing if you're. What my son, no, his bull terrier, I bought him from. For I suppose he was four or five when I bought the dog for him. And when the dog had to be put down, he was actually in work. And his employers asked him, did he did he want to go home? He was so upset. There you go. I mean, it is really a, an overwhelming loss. They did ask him, did he want to go home? He was so heartbroken at work. We stood, we stood around, it was Deck the Vet and Douglas, fabulous vet, great guy, really compassionate, and we stood around his table, do you know him? I don't, I mean, with Yeah, they're very good too. But we, with the three of us, the four of us stood around Jessie and she was very old and cataracts and she was just crocked. Uh, and we, st- we, stu- we stood there as he gave her the injection, it was so sad. It is soul destroying in this. Totally. I get the job to do it every time with all our dogs through my life. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. You come up with a lump in your throat. Oh, my God. It was sh- oh, so sad. And did you see the other research then this morning where three quarters of people surveyed admit to having more photographs of their dog than their partner, their family members or their children? <laughs> that would be true in my case anyway, Neil. You would? I get killed, I'd say. Yes, definitely. I have more <laughs> pictures of my dog than I have of my son. So it's true, the research is true. People have more photographs of their dogs than their children. <laughs> it's true, in my case anyway, Nate. Listen, good to catch up with you. I'm delighted it all worked out. Thanks, Jerry. Okay. Regards to Anne and Billy, all right? Okay, Neil, and thanks again for everything that you've done for the... That for the, at all. No, yeah, I'm, del- I'm delighted it worked out. Car people are brilliant. They always come to the aid. Fantastic. As for, as for Katie's diet, that's another story entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to talk to her about them rashers. <laughs> Steak, <laughs> chicken and rashers. <laughs> I had a talk with you one time about you giving your dog chocolate. 
Oh, you want to go to that? You want to go there, do you? I don't, I don't. I lost that battle that day and I better stay away from it now. No, 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 no I, I, I just hear that it poisons them or it can kill them. And in all the yeah, dogs that I've ever had who've eaten boxes of uh, afternoon tea, boxes of dairy milk, selection boxes full of chocolate, all they've done is crapped a lot more. Yeah, but you see, it's just like alcohol, Neil. If, if it's given on a big scale for a long time, it will damage their liver like it can kill them. <laughs> All right, yeah. my man. Good to catch you up. Appreciate it. Take Thanks care of yourself. All the Good best. Thanks, Fair play, Take Jerry. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 for whatever's on your mind. Back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Oh, yeah. What are we going to do with no cash in the world? As a visually impaired person, I feel like no one is thinking about us. My nearest branch, and this was from Friday's program, of course, AIB reversed out of it with regards to turning them cashless. Uh, I can't use online banking because I'm visually impaired. I need to go into a physical bank to do my business and get help from a person who will talk to me. It is so upsetting. I rely so much on my husband to lead me around and bring me places. And with things like this happening, uh, it's just getting harder and harder in the society we live in now. Can't come on air because I'd be just too embarrassed. I wish somebody would just think of us people with disability issues. And in this case, uh, a listener who is visually impaired. Text 0868104106 if you have... Um, and there's there's lots more than another topic. Remember we were talking on Friday about the cost of hairdressing and I was nearly at a... I nearly had a nervous breakdown when I heard how much it can be to get highlights done. Listening to the lady talking about hairdressing charges, my hairdresser has not increased charges since pre-pandemic. Also, he's complaining about the prices they charge on air. How, could I ask him if he could just think like a businessman and work out the cost of running a salon, like the overheads that, by the way, all have to be paid, um, even while we were closed. For instance, rent, insurance, booking systems. The person may be sitting in a chair for three hours, maybe not being worked on, but the chair is occupied nonetheless. People need to question uh, income and outgoings, and what is left is profit. Uh, Morning, Uh, we're talking about the special foil that they use for highlighting. Uh, I never heard anything like this. Special aluminium foil, they have the same in Lidl and Aldi for €2.50 a roll. People just don't believe them when they defend prices like this. Uh, I really don't know how anyone pays for those prices in salons, apart from a few occasions where I've had an upstyle done, whatever that is. I haven't been to a hairdresser in about 11 years. My friend is a barber. She cuts it for me every few months to keep it free from split ends. I do my own colour. No way on earth could I afford it otherwise. And I won't be able to anytime soon. I have three boys and their barber charges €30 Euro for all three of them. A tenor, a bazaar. There's value for you. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Very quickly, just an update with Miles Gaffney, who's got a big gig this coming Saturday as we head into the bank holiday weekend. It's Make Some Noise. It's a concert in aid of Shine a Light Suicide Awareness at the Firkin Crane. I want to push tickets from... Morning, Miles. How are you, Neil? Good. Uh, so, a big gig on Saturday. Who's performing? So there's myself, um, Chris Kent, the comedian, uh, the Lost Echo, and then we have the cabin crew. Um, so Regular visitors to, to this programme, the cabin crew? Yeah, and then the, the other members of the cabin crew, the Mishnook and Musical Neighbourhood and all that gang there. So um, we're going to descend on the Fork and Crane on Saturday to, ra- uh, to raise awareness surrounding um, suicide and mental health. Okay, okay. You're, you're around and about in the community all of the time. 
you know, it's, it's what you do for a living and also gigging and meeting with people. Um, is intervention helping or are things just getting worse? Well, when, when, when we founded this concert four years ago, um, the suicide that time, there was three uh, people who took their own lives in, on the one street. Um, so that's why we, we acted on it at, the, at that time. Pandemic times then, I suppose, we just had to do a live on Facebook or whatever, but we're back this year and it's worse now than it was back then. You hear that story um, of the nurse this morning that I read out where she's I a nurse that. and the husband is a nurse and he intervened, he was about to take his own life, he just felt failure as a husband and failure as a parent. I heard that this morning. Like this is where we're this is where Irish society has gone. The most important people in our society, like nurses and doctors, are contemplating taking their own lives due to the pressures and it's a it's a permanent solution then to a temporary problem. You can overcome this. And even on the night when when the concerts happen, I will never know who the people are, but I get figures. And there's counsellors on hand on the night, on the night, and there's private rooms where people, if people need to go and have a chat, it's all available at the concert. But the amount of people that come forward from just this little concert every year in the community is phenomenal. And a guy jumped out of his van one morning to me down in the North Mall. And he shook my hand and he said, thanks for doing that concert, he said, because I was ready to go. Go away. Isn't that amazing? I had it all in place, he said. I was walking down the North Mall with the post and he he jumped out of his van and came over and shook my hand. And he said, only for you and and Shine a Light doing what you did with that concert, he triggered something inside my mind, he said. And I changed my mind and I got the help I needed, you know. And I walked away kind of astonished, but I was satisfied in as well from my actions and as well as, as the rest of the lads, even yeah. like Joe Dalton and all the crowd and Shine the latest team, they are fantastic. Yeah. They're the real heroes in the community. I mean, we, we only go uh, and lend our, our, our abilities and our, and our music um, to Shine the Light to raise the awareness and save lives at the end of the yeah, day. I know what you're saying. It's not about money, Neil. It was never about money. Um, it's, you know, it's this is solely keep people alive and it came very close to my home again in February our own young fella home there his friend and I knew this young fella personally it, it deeply upset me and my wife as well because this young fella was in our home almost every day and uh, it was a shock and um, it's, it's it, like you never stop it completely but you can save some people like you know and it, it, even if we save one on Saturday. Well, job done. Mm. Well said, Miles. Well said. So the tickets are on sale. Where are they on sale? So, if you go online, uh, Fork and Crane box office, you just click in the corner of the screen and go into what's on. Just scroll down to make some noise, click in it, and go in and book your tickets. Or you can physically walk into the Fork and Crane and just get your tickets handed here over the counter from okay. the girls below. They're fantastic. Yeah. Um, I just like, didn't want I mean, this opportunity to pass for fear that people hadn't heard about it because with sui- with you know suicide rates increasing, unfortunately, are indeed people struggling. And I don't think it was helped either by COVID. Sure, it wasn't the two years of COVID. No, no, it didn't help at all. But, but we kept it going, Neil. We kept it going. And even from the online platforms again, people were still coming forward. Yeah, but they may not in. know it's back live this year, so we need oh, to... Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, 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 they might not know. And again, there's an awful lot of people, a lot of things on. And 
I understand that and, and we as a group we understand that but if people can just make their way to the Falcon Crane by your actions of coming down you have no idea of the knock on effect because it gives it, say if you went Neil and your friend was secretly struggling right just say nobody knew about it and Neil Prendival said to his friend I'm going down to the shoot shine a light concert there to give the suicide awareness a bit of support yeah. that could very well change your friend's outlook and it might just change his, his view and say this Neil is going down there there is something there after all for me to find help I hear you so this Saturday uh, make a noise make some noise concert in Firkin Crane what time? Uh, kicking off at 8 o'clock fantastic tickets online at the Firkin Crane uh, website or else on the night at the door okay yeah and if anybody have any queries Neil Give me a DM there on Facebook or whatever platforms I can be contacted on. Or if anyone wants my phone number there, ring in and give my permission to hand it out. I'll push this every day between now and Friday for you, no problem. Do need because it's very, very important. Not just to the north side, but to the whole of Cork and actually the whole people of Ireland. All right, Miles. Cork. Right. Not a bother. Take care of yourself, pal. That's Saturday night, 8 o'clock at the Firkin Craig. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Okay, Garden Goodness has its bakery. The Good Fish Company and the Butcher's Block have given me a 350 euro hamper filled with the very best of produce from all of those shops and all of those family business in Douglas Court Shopping Centre every day. Now, they're a fabulous hamper. Like Garden Goodness have full up with fresh vegetables and fruit and strawberries and potatoes. And the Good Fish Company is there with with all of their wonderful sustainably sourced fish. Butcher's Block, well, all of the meats you need for your summer barbecues, whatever that may be, whenever you get a bit of sun. But you don't need sun. just needs to be dry for a barbecue. And then Hassett's, oh, all of the cakes and the cream and the cookies and the crackers and uh, pies and quiches and sausage rolls. I bet you Carol is watering at the mouth. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are uh, you? And I'm contemplating giving you a hamper. Uh, but first, oh, I, have to be conv- I, have, well, I have to be convinced first. So any old food disasters for me? Oh my God! The worst on the worst day, Neil. My turkey. I was this was this your first was this your first Christmas dinner that you ever did yourself? Was it? It was my yeah. It was my first Christmas dinner. Like it was our first Christmas dinner away from home that we were living together. We had been invited to different houses, and we said, "Look, we'd do it ourselves." I like cooking anyway. Yeah, you might so be great at it, off. but you like it. No, I'd improve now. Improved. Went all out, laid the table, placed mats, candles, crackers, the whole lot. Prepped all my veg the night before, starters, desserts, all homemade. So, got up at the dawn, put my turkey in the oven, and uh, about half an hour to go, he was looking lovely, so I said, right, fly up and have a quick shower now. This was still about eight o'clock in the morning. And I came back down. You'd have been resting that turkey a long time, wouldn't you? It was cooked by eight. Like, what time did you put it in at? Oh, I said, I don't know what time I was up, but it was middle of the night because I wanted everything to be perfect. <laughs> so um, Did he help at all, down. did he? No, but I, I preferred that, just potter away in the kitchen myself. Music on and potter away in the kitchen. So, um, went to check the turkey anyway, and um, I say he exploded, but it imploded, I think, but it was just a big mush inside in the tray. You couldn't salvage it. You it just, just could not salvage it. There was just, it was like it just exploded. <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it. I actually, it imploded as opposed to exploded. Yeah, exactly. But it looks like it exploded because, like, you couldn't turn it upside down. You Did you take the giblets just, and the guts and all of the bits out of it? Yeah, all done. 
I don't know what happened it. So I'd say, you, I'd say you could still eat it though. Well, no, if you saw the state of this now, Neil, seriously, it was I was just going, Oh my god, what am I gonna do? So I think actually the same year it was snowing, out the back door I went and over the wall because at the time my brother used to live next door to me. So and I knew they had well I hoped they had cooked a turkey and but they were going to his sister in law's for dinner. So their turkey was for Stevens' day. So I was banging on the back door Christmas morning at quarter past eight. Then he opened the door going, hi, happy Christmas. I said, give me a few slices of turkey. And he was like, what? And I said, my turkey blew up. I said, please just give me some turkey for the dinner. <laughs> so I got some turkey off him and I ate everything else was okay. So we still had a lovely Christmas dinner. So Why did, tur- Why did the turkey implode 30 minutes no before idea. finishing time? What was going I on? No. I don't know. I really don't know. But like for a few years after that, I used to get the turkey ready and bring it down. And my dad used to actually cook the turkey for me. And then he used to ring me when it was ready. (laughs) (laughs) I was spoiled. So he's ringing and say, Henry's ready now. Come and collect But if I give you, if I give you something like the premium meats now, the most beautiful dry aged steaks, from the butcher's oh, block, or I give you some beautiful fresh now fish now from the Good Fish Company. You'll, you'll cremate them on me. No, not a hope. No, that was a long time. Nah, ago. No, you will. It's and, and I'll, just give you, I'll give you new spuds from the garden goodness, and you'll turn them oh, into okay. absolute mush. I couldn't do it, no, Carol. I couldn't do it. I, I just couldn't hold now, myself responsible like for it. <laughs> I make homemade cheesecakes, and all now I'm very good. I've improved. I don't know I'm though. I think if I give you if I give you fresh cakes now with cream in them and everything, you'll leave them out in the sun and you'll poison people with the cream or something. I would not. They wouldn't last long enough to get out in the sun. I have my they reservations now. I have my reservations. <laughs> Neil, you but, wouldn't get a worse day out to have a cooking disaster than Christmas morning and the turkey. If it was sprouts, who cares? Nobody cares about the sprouts but the turkey. Okay, well you promise me you won't make a hames of all of this then? Oh, I promise. Right. I'll send you a picture. I want to see <laughs> photographs to prove what you did with them, okay? All right, so no bother. <laughs> okay, we have a deal then, all right? Oh, yeah, deal. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let me down. <laughs> I won't, I won't. They'll be right. gorgeous. Where are you calling from? <laughs> I'm in Balafihan. Okay, so if people see kind of uh, smoke arrive, arrive <laughs> in the back garden of Balafihan, they know it's Carol <laughs> cremating the steaks. Cooking. Yeah, <laughs> <All right>. exactly. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Mary, thanks a million. Cheers, thanks a 350 euro voucher, or sorry, hamper full of goodies uh, from the Douglas Food Court. So get your stories in. Text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Final bit of business. We have family passes now to give away again this morning for more wonderful tourist attractions. You will win a family pass for Yall Clock Gate Tower. Within the medieval walls of the coastal town of Yall is the most fascinating Clock Gate Tower. It's over 700 years old. I'll tell you a little bit more about it tomorrow when I have the time. If you haven't been there, you will love it. They put huge money into doing it up, renovating it, and opened it recently to the public for the first time in an awful long time. The Clock Gate Tower in Yall. Well worth a visit, as is Yall. So get dialing for those 9, 10, 11 and 12. Call us 9, 10, 11 and 12. Pick up the phone 0818 106 and we'll do that and lots more again tomorrow. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast.